1: Boy. I'm telling you straight, it's my way or the highway. So anybody who wants to walk, do it now. Hey everybody, we're all gonna get
2: laid.
1: And again it's picked up. It's Darius Leonard, a pick six for the Maniac. Touchdown, I N D Y. Yes, sir. Uh, oh, of the, the thickest double time. Miles Turner. Yeah. John. I have never been better to be on the air with you here in Indianapolis, a place where so many of my dreams have come true. The Ride with JMV on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan.
3: Taylor right there on the Colts radio network. I don't know if you needed a scoreboard on the Colts side. Barely you needed a scoreboard with that Chase McLaughlin three in the second quarter. And that was that Colts lose on Monday night football to the Chargers 20 to three. Nick Foles was your starting quarterback. How about these numbers? 17 of 29, 143, three interceptions. I had my fingers crossed, honestly. I had my fingers crossed for a fourth. It uh, did not happen. He was sacked seven times. <laughs> I'm sorry, you can't make you can't make this up. This is so bad. Seven times. Uh, his quarterback rating was. And, and keep in mind, I think to have a good quarterback rating, you got to be over 100. Um, his quarterback rating. I think I may have my first shot at sight class. Well, maybe I had a 31%. I wrote a paper about 70s porn that didn't go over well at Indiana State. I may have gotten a 31% on that. Uh, That's somewhere in the neighborhood of my 70s porn paper that I wrote at Indiana State back in the early 90s. That's how bad Nick Foles' quarterback rating was. And the Colts lose again 20-3, to but I'll be completely honest with you. And I know that this is going to be drastically different than a lot of stuff that you hear. I'm not mad. I'm not mad at all. You want to know why? Because that's exactly who they are. That's exactly who they are. That's the type of team they are. That's the type of organization they are right now. And anything to get you closer, and I got my fingers crossed on this because they most certainly can lose out, but anything that gets you closer to having your choice of quarterbacks, and I don't care. You draft one coming up in April, early in the first round, and if he stinks, you can draft one the next year. You just keep running Chris Ballard out there for the next 10 years, and you can keep trying and trying and trying until something finally good that happens at that position. Because that's where we are right here. I'm not mad. I'm not mad at all. The thing that's kind of interesting to me is yesterday, and there is no doubt, no doubt that you have prideful players. You don't get to that point, whether or not you're successful, you don't get to that point in your career to play professionally without a great deal, a large sense of pride. But this is, they're going to go out there and play because they really care about what's on tape. Yeah, whatever. (laughs) All right. But unfortunately, Unfortunately, that game is on tape, all right? That is on tape for people in the future, for those executives making decisions about individuals from this Colts team that may have availability. That's on tape. Just like that second half defensively. It, it, listen, to the defense, I know that they did not deserve what they got last night, but they sure as hell deserved it on that Saturday prior in Minneapolis. That second half of that game for the defense is on tape. That fourth quarter of the game prior in Dallas on the Sunday night is on tape. And unfortunately for the Colts, all this tape that has been created, all that they talk about, you really do care about what goes on that tape. That's all I ever hear is the tape. Unfortunately for this Colts team, all of this tape is stand-alone, nationally televised stuff, meaning there's no other football going on except for that. And one of the reasons is because the Colts owner, Jim Irsay was so outspoken about how he and his organization were so incredibly deservant of nationally televised games, Monday night football home game. He had a couple of those haven't worked out. Had a Sunday night or on the road, nationally televised standalone. That fourth quarter was incredibly embarrassing. And then you go back to that Saturday afternoon at one o'clock nearly two weeks ago, and that will stand probably alone forever as embarrassing. And that's what it comes to. I'm not mad. I'm not mad at all. Now, I can get mad, and I'll probably work my way into being mad, even in this first segment. But I'll start out light and jovial. This team sucks this bad. This team has been put together this bad. This team is exactly what we have seen. But they are going to be in line to be able to draft a young quarterback. We'll get to that coming up in just a minute. They didn't at least mess that up. They're not about to mess that up because, frankly, they're not going to beat the Giants coming up on Sunday uh, they are sure. Listen, I don't even know if they're going to beat the Texans here at home to close it out. By the way, I have tickets for you uh, because we're live at the Shelbyville Buffalo Wild Wings. Normally, do the Buffalo Wild Wings Blue Mondays, but this is a Blue Tuesday because of that Monday nighter. Uh, nothing is more blue than the Colts offense and the stat line of Nick Foles. Seriously. Fellas, maybe you never, you, maybe you have never done, it's a long, maybe it was a long time for you for that he and she and thing. You were never as blue as the Colts offense and the Nick Foles stat line from last night. Never as blue. Good to see you, Ken. How you doing? That's how bad that was. That's how bad they are. And we'll get into all that coming up in just a minute. The thing that I wish that they would do, this is one thing. I don't want them to win. I want them to have as good of an opportunity to get a quarterback of the future in the draft as they can. What's up, Travis? So I didn't mind. Yeah, lose, lose away. And, you know, I'm on the Colts pregame huddle yesterday and everybody else, and they should say that, right? They should say that, hey, you know what? You're playing for something. You're playing for that tape. And, you know, they're out there. And Jim Mercey, wants to win, well, Jim Marseille would be wrong. Jim Marseille shouldn't want to win, all right? He should not want to win. And if you're going to get some intel, if you're going to get some feedback from either Jeff Saturday, the interim head coach that you would like to be the future head coach, or Jeff Saturday, the intel finding out what's going on to the negative mole on what's going on inside that locker room, or dudes being late for meetings, for get-togethers, Did the previous head coach let that slide? Is Jeff Saturday dealing with that right now? Is Jeff Saturday, I'm assuming so, reporting back to the owner about what he has seen, what he has witnessed, what is going on? Because I'm sorry, we haven't seen it. It hasn't transpired like it did in Denver. Has it on Christmas Day? We have an offensive lineman go rogue on his backup quarterback because the backup quarterback wanted the offensive lineman to get out there and help Russell Wilson up. Whatever. You didn't see that. That wasn't the only thing that led to a rookie head coach being fired, but certainly in that standalone, it didn't help. In that standalone, it didn't help. But you look back at the Colts and go ahead and lose. That is all right with me. I want your options to be open. We were getting in this argument or debate yesterday on the Colts pregame huddle about this very thing. Well, they have some assets. You know, that's why I have to hear about all the time, the Indy assets. But they have some assets, and they can move up. I don't want them to have to move up. Just be as bad as this. If you're going to be this bad, you might as well just go all out. I don't want them to have to use up any of these valued assets on trying to move up to get somebody that they desire. I want that somebody to be ready, willing, and able to be selected. um, And hopefully it's not going to be an offensive lineman when Chris Ballard does the selecting. I want them to be ready, willing, and able to select the quarterback of the future. I'm ready to punch my time card when it comes to that because I am sick and tired of all that other stuff. And I don't know really what it was. If you were watching the game last night, it was really sad when they put the quarterbacks up on the screen after Andrew Luck I'm upset that. And when the standalone right there, two things stood to me. One was Phillip Rivers and the 11-5 and five season. How I think all of you right now would fully embrace that if given the opportunity. And the fact that Carson Wentz a year ago, who was so bad, that the owner forced the hand of his organization saying, you got to get rid of this guy. I don't care who it is. got to find this dude. you got to find him a different seat. He is not going to be our quarterback. Find somebody else. And, boy, did they find somebody else. Did they find somebody else. They found Matt F-bomb on national TV on Monday Night Football, Ryan, and they found Nick Foles. A lot of people were asking me this last night. I don't have any idea. I don't know what tape they watched. I know this. A lot of people in Atlanta were sending us tweets, were suggesting that the whole Matt Ryan thing, he was done, he was toast, and he certainly has looked every bit of that. But I thought it was Chris Ballard that said it took them about an hour, maybe an hour and a half to look at his tape to realize that he had something left. And I don't know what tape they watched. I don't know if they watched like year two, year three, year four or what, but I don't know what tape they watched. But no, that was a mandate from the owner to get rid of a guy that at the very least was above 500. At this point, I don't care. At this point, what matters to me is moving forward because I am, if nothing else, I'm sick and tired of this. And this just kind of seems like if this isn't rock bottom, I would like to know what it is. And clearly, with everything surrounding him, Jim Mercer needs his team to reach... Rock bottom, and just go ahead and reboot it. Now, I don't know how you reboot it by keeping the architect for the past six seasons around to help with that reboot. I don't know how you do that. That legitimately, if if you are a member of the '80s, that's like the guy that said, "You know what? We're going to do." This is 1985. We have this great product, it's Coca-Cola, and what we're going to do, we need a new flavor. We need a new path. You know, Everybody else is going with this path, their own path right now, Um, but we're going to go with this new path because we believe it's great. Literally, it is like keeping the guy around that invented and then set into action new Coke when you go back. It's a Coca-Cola classic. It's like keeping that guy around, essentially. And I don't really want to get that deep into it. You guys know how I feel about Chris Ballard and how I've seen enough. And I know that it feels like, at least that's what I feel like when I'm speaking to you. It feels like that I'm wearing you out on that. You know how I feel. We still have two weeks to go of actual bad football to be played. And then we go into the offseason where more of this is going to happen. But I will, I will leave you regarding Chris Ballard with this. And, of course, we talked about this yesterday during the show uh, when I was in studio and then once again when I was down in touchdown town. It was great to see everybody out in the cold as well. But we talked about this. I don't know what Jim Irsay sees that the rest of us do. I, I'm not suggesting I'm Vince Lombardi by any stretch. But what, what am I missing here? Can somebody explain to me what I'm missing And I know that I can occasionally get the, well, you know, he made a great pick here and a great pick there. I don't think anything's been great. I don't think anything's been great. I think these picks have all combined to become the reflection and really become what this team is. And it stinks. And they lose. And even when they play well, you sit back and you wait for them to lose. Minnesota game, I'll go back to that for a moment. They were up 33-0 at the half, and the one thing that was in your mind besides what are they going to do, they're going to screw up their draft possibilities here, and I hate this, by the way, and you know that. But you were thinking about, all right, so how's Minnesota going to come back in the second half? Maybe you didn't truly, and I mean truly believe it, but it did cross your mind. Why? Because that's this team. That's the team that Jim Merce has on his hands right now. That's the team that Chris Ballard has constructed. Those are the two quarterbacks that Chris Ballard brought in. And I know everybody can blame everything on Frank. They're too late. I mean, Frank's been fired. Blame everything on Frank. I mean, somebody else has to have some input here. I I don't know if Frank was running around religiously rogue inside that organization saying, hey, you guys bow to me. I'm going to do whatever I want, and you guys just go over there and play in the corner by yourselves. I would have to think that Chris Ballard and others also had some input on these decisions. So where's the accountability when it comes to the general manager having decisions, making decisions? And do we ever get past – the, well, he was dealt the bad hand with Andrew Luck. Do we ever get past, well, you know, look what he found in, in Shaquille Leonard. Do we ever get past, hey, well, you know, he, he believed in Julian Blackman. That's great. Do we get past, well, he moved up to get Jonathan Taylor. Yeah, I got news for you. Like the rest of the NFL probably knew Jonathan Taylor too. They just didn't value Jonathan Taylor as a running back as much in the philosophy and the blueprint as Chris Ballard did. I just, and I am so willing, and you know me, I do have an open mind. I am willing to listen to anybody that suggests, that's got some good reasoning as to why that Chris Ballard deserves a seventh and beyond. Because I got news for you. If he goes in, as Jim Mercer in that interview piece on Monday Night Countdown alluded to, if he is his general manager and he drafts, hopefully not an offensive lineman, but that quarterback coming up in the April NFL draft in round number one, he's not going to get gated after a bad rookie season. I mean, he's going to be on board for a seventh and an eighth, and we'll see where that goes. And listen, if this all leads down to the path of, of winning, and it really, I'll wait on winning. If this leads them down the path of respectability across the NFL landscape, then okay. But I got news for you. It looks to me like this whole construction is an absolute fraud. This whole construction has failed miserably. And I don't know if you start again from not completely at the ground level, but close to it. And let the same guy who's been in charge of the construction of this team, the personnel of this team, do it again. That's my question. And I am completely open to any of your suggestions as to why this should be the path chosen by the owner here. Because I I agree. I think you could take what Jim Mercer says. I don't think anything – is going to change his mind. People say, well, you know, maybe being embarrassed last night is going to change his mind. Yeah, that wasn't any more embarrassing last night than it was in Minneapolis the week prior, or the fourth quarter in Dallas a couple of weeks before that, or going all the way back to, you know, this wasn't a standalone. This was just a 1 o'clock game in Foxborough, that New England game, that, that ultimately got Frank Reich fired. Is it going to be any more embarrassing? I mean, what, what level of embarrassment do we have to see here? Well, you know what? It's it's Jim Ramsey is going to have enough when he gets embarrassed. What level of embarrassment do you have do you have to fall to to realize that the path that has been taken has not worked and to stop believing that it is. That is my question to you today because that is something I simply do not get, and I'm not being anti, I'm not anti Chris Ballard whatsoever. He's always seemed like a nice enough dude to me, but I'm just telling you what I see because I have been here. I have been here for the bad. I have been here for the good. I have been here for the kind of good. I have been here for now the declining in the bad into embarrassment. I listen. I spend decades of knowing this Colts team and understanding what they have been about, and knowing their image. Decades since they got here. You know, back then it didn't really matter. They were embarrassing back then. Don't get me wrong, but nobody expected them to be anything. Uh, you fully have expected because you have been told what to expect, and for them, under those circumstances, to be not just a losing team, but to be this embarrassing on a national stage in which you called for. You raised and shook your fist. We deserve nationally televised games, stand-alone Monday night. We deserve these. We're not getting them. And to crap out in such an embarrassing fashion, Under those circumstances, there's nothing. There's not been a time worse than this. The suck for luck, it wasn't worse than this. You knew what was going to be on the other side. I think part of it right now is you're kind of unsure what's on the other side. You're unsure about the person that in all likelihood is going to make that selection on the other side. But everybody, I think, was unified Everybody was unified as far as the quarterback was concerned. You knew it was going to be luck. And, uh, you know, there was the, you know, occasional RG3s out there, but not enough. You knew it was going to be luck. I think everybody was satisfied for it. The mantra was sucked for luck. And those that that weren't completely burnt by the fact that they dismantled and disconnected the Manning era, which still to this day sucks, but the fact that they did that notwithstanding – You knew where it was going. You were pretty satisfied where it was going. There is still a great deal of unknown here. I mean, everybody says that Bryce Young is going to be a can't miss, but two things. You don't know if you're going to be able to get up there. You have to be really bad to get up there and have some good fortune to get up there. Really bad is what the Colts have been. Good fortune is what they have not had. And then Levis, C.J. Stroud, and all these other guys—I mean, that's that's a roll of the dice right there. There's nothing clear-cut. So even in that suck for luck season, you go all the way back to you know, 01, and I talk about this all the time—the Edgren-James thing, the Jay Moore, the Bill Polian thing—that was a collective in one season bump in the road that ended up being incredibly gratifying. I mean, that was just a part of the path that led to a Super Bowl title and actually a part of a path that led to a Super Bowl title and also led to another Super Bowl appearance. So it was worth it. I can't tell you this is going to be worth it. I can't tell you that this is going to be worth it enough for this team to not be just as bad as anybody else. You tell me right now, is this the worst team in the NFL? Because if it isn't, it sure as hell looked apart last night. Certainly the worst offense of the NFL. Ben Brown of PFF, I'm sure I'll get some numbers as far as you know where Nick Foles is and Matt Ryan is in this offense, but that was terrible. You were watching that game last night, and offensively, you would cringe when they got the ball back because it was either going to be a sack or an interception. You cheered when it was an incompletion. When's the last time you cheered on an incompletion? Who got excited at the game last night because of an incompletion? That is where you are, and that is where this team absolutely has to get its head out of its rear end and get out of, because oftentimes when you go this deep into the abyss in the NFL, there is more of a likelihood that you stay there than you can sooner rather than later dig yourself out. That is problematic. Last night was, again, just another game-long microcosm of not only where this team and organization is, but who this team and organization is. That part's unfortunate. All right, we can talk about that at 239-1070. Email the address at jmv at 107 if you want to send me an email there. Inside the lounge via YouTube Live, I see you guys up. We got a little mood lighting working right here as I'm back in the corner. We're live in Shelbyville. My Shelby County friends, if you're in and around, I would love to see you. We do have a pair of tickets for that regular season finale at home against the Texans and our autographed helmet as we have done the entire year. I will say this. uh, The Colts team notwithstanding, these Mondays, these Thursdays, these Fridays, because of you, have been entertaining, and because of you, have been much more entertaining than the product on the field. Much more. So I got to thank you, and I know we're nearing the end. Next week in Columbus and then over by the Glendale Mall the week after. We have not done Mondays in a long time, and this was the uh, brainchild of Michelle Kiefer here at the station, and it has worked out fantastically. I love it. Absolutely love it, and not because of the football that most of the time we got to talk about on that Monday after an NFL weekend, but because I get to come out, get to hang out with you guys on a Monday, and the more that I do that on this show, the better and more enjoyable that it is, so thank you very much for that. We're live in Shelbyville, I believe this is State Road 9 and 44 right out here, so if I get out here on 44, I can go all the way through Shelby County into Johnson County, and then go through Franklin, and then go back home that way. I love, you know me with this, because years ago we did a lot of stuff just up 74 at, um, at uh, yeah, the uh, casino up there, right? So we went up to Indiana Grand. We did a lot over there, and I love cutting through the country. Absolutely love it. But we're here. We are looking for you. I've got stuff to give away. Bud Light is on tap as well. If you guys want to come out and have an ice cold Bud Light with me, that is fantastic. Great food and more to come. Zach Key of the Athletics going to join us coming up in the 5 o'clock hour. Yeah, we'll talk about this team present and digging out of the abyss, as I brought up just a moment ago with Zach coming up in the 5 o'clock hour. Ben Brown of PFF is going to be here, as usual, coming up in the 4 o'clock hour. Greg Rakestraw, the post-game show host, probably did not have an enjoyable night last night. I don't blame him. Greg's going to join us per usual coming up on the other side as well. All right, Pacers a loser last night. That game wasn't any better to watch. But again, you look at them. And you see signs. You look at this, you see nothing. You see embarrassment. You see a folly. And these two things are different. When you logged into this Pacers season, you were just kind of waiting on them to get these young guys into the season to see how they would react. You know, even with a bad loss, and it was a bad loss, maybe only second to that Brooklyn loss, when they basically had to play everybody but Kerry Kittles about a month ago. But that was a bad loss last night. No Zion Williamson, no Brandon Ingram. I think they were without a lot of their top players. So that certainly was a bad loss. But, hey, two of three on the road. Take it. When you went in Boston, you went in Miami, you trip and fall in New Orleans, so be it. You turn that around. They got Atlanta coming up on this station a little bit later on tonight. We can talk about that as well. All right, 239 1070. Quick break. We'll come back. I've got your calls, emails, and tweets if you want to go that direction. Greg Rakestraw is going to join us as well. Inside the lounge via YouTube Live, I did. I saw Taylor Tannenbaum and the tweet after Bob Kravitz had the uh, column from The Athletic about Chris Ballard staying, and he shouldn't, but he probably will stay. I'll get to that tweet coming up a little bit later on if that matters to you. A lot of you have asked about it. I'll tell you why, and I'll give you a little background into that a little bit later on. But Greg Rakstraw is going to join us on the other side. The stream, the app, HD Radio, it's 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Back with you next. The Ride
0: with JMV.
3: Don't read your email, because I'm really butthurt when you read your email. (laughs) 93.5
1: and 107.5. The
3: Fan. Thank you for joining us, the Buffalo Wild Wings. Shelbyville, everybody. Right down from the uh, Blue River Park. It was down here back in early October. And Blake was running for Ron Colley in a cross-country meet down here with Literally like a million high school kids running in this thing. Just right up the way here. Hey, join us. I would love to see you. We got stuff to give away. Great food and more for you. Buffalo Wild Wings on a Blue Tuesday here in Shelbyville. Shelby County. We'd love to see you on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. Greg Raystraw, who unfortunately had duties last night on the post-game show. He does join us now. Um, so, What do you think? And this is obviously – this is an opinion piece I'm asking you right here. Do you think Nick Foles looked at all like last night in those days of practice leading up to? (laughs) I mean, no. But
4: but, but as you know, (laughs) there is nothing, especially in late December, that is going to replicate the speed of a game – In practice, you know, there's very few things in practice to replicate the speed of a game that tends to be more the case once you get to, you know, training camp and, like, specialist practices against another team. But there's nothing they would have done last week that would have come close to looking like what the Los Angeles Chargers looked like last night.
3: I I would disagree only in a sense of... I think it would be relatively easy to replicate the speed of the game that Nick Foles presently has in any practice.
4: Fair enough. I mean, l- again, let's, you know, I'm not sitting here trying to convince you that, that Nick Foles is the answer to the team at quarterback. Uh, right. For the life of me, I can't figure out why you're not playing Ellinger. And, and that's not some ring endorsement of Sam. I don't know what he is. I got a pretty good idea what Matt Ryan and Nick Foles are at this point. Uh, and so why the continued – why you're going to stick with with uh, with with Foles at this point? I mean, you already made let's let's literally count them out loud. Three different quarterback changes in terms of who's the starter this year, without with really only injury playing a part in one of those. Um, what's there to making a third and a fourth? I I have no earthly idea, but uh, I'm sure he looked far better in practice than he did a night ago.
3: Another opinion piece for Greg Raystraw, the Andy Moore Automotive Crew Potline, is there any way this Colts team is not the worst in the NFL presently?
4: Uh, It's certainly possible. Um, We'll find out when the Houston Texans are here, given the fact that they won for the first time in God knows how long last week and did so against a Titans team that is in complete free fall. Um, The Broncos aren't exactly inspiring much in the way of confidence. The Bears don't seem to be any good. So there is, you know, the misery loves company division, The Colts are a part of it, but John, I'm not sure there's a big difference in being the first worst team or the fifth worst team other than the draft pick that you are going to get coming up at the end of April.
3: Do you think that this is a, I don't want to say quick fix because we know that, but I mean, is this something where you can in an off season feel any sort of turnaround if you go out and draft a a top rank type of quarterback? Because, listen, I'm in a pessimistic mood right now, so I don't see it. And, you know, and and knowing this organization the way that it is, the direction of this going, the direction is going to continue to go, I don't sit here and feel like they're going to dig out of this anytime soon. So add a ray of hope to this conversation, if you would. I I think they can
4: turn around pretty quickly. And historically, I did this off the top of my head last night, Every time the Colts have had a season like this in the last 20 years, they've made the playoffs the next year. So in 2001, six-win team, that was in large part because Edger and James was hurt and the defense was terrible. The next year, they won 10 games and were a playoff team. 2011, they won two games. No Peyton Manning. Obviously, there was an Andrew Luck waiting in the wings. You win 11 games, you're a playoff team. In 2017, you win four times. Again, Andrew Luck for a second time was waiting in the wings. You come back and you win 10 games the next year and you win a playoff game the next year as well. So typically this franchise has bounced back quickly from years like this one. Now, is the, whole, is the whole little harder to climb out of this year? Yeah, because of what you expect after the quarterback position next year. I think it'll be somebody different. I think it'll be a first round pick. I think it'll be somebody young. Um, your point is well made in terms of overall number of pieces you've got to fill. You do have some significant building blocks that are already in place here. You just don't have what is the ultimate question, and that is who the quarterback of this team is going to be next year.
3: Right, Greg Strauss with us via the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline, live in Shelbyville at Buffalo Wild Wings. We'll take the quarterback position out of the, the conversation and your thought right here. How many more questions do we see right now And not good questions to be answered for this Colts team, more so than what we saw back at the beginning of the season.
4: Well, the the, the thing that we didn't think was a question, now we know is his offensive line. Um, The precipitous drop that this group has made. There was last night seven sacks, and you pick an offensive lineman, I can point to a sack as to, that's probably on this guy. We saw Bernard Ryman getting beat. And by Khalil Mack as a rookie, that's understandable. Saw Quentin Nelson get beat. So Braden Smith get beat. Um, you know, oh, oh, not recognizing blitz pickups properly, which has been a problem the entire year for this group. And so, to be honest with you, there's probably an easier answer at quarterback, as in draft somebody in the first five or six picks, than there is for fixing the offensive line. Where I think that largely, maybe, maybe a, a different face or two at most, but everybody else is going to be back next year. In other words, you better find somebody and coach this group up. Uh, because this, this went to hell in a handbasket in a hurry uh, for that offensive line. So, there, so, so that is the other big question along with, um, along with, with, with quarterback. Uh, I still have question marks about the wide receiver position, but we kind of knew that going in, and it's almost a matter of, hey, listen, you've got everybody other than Paris Campbell returning on their contracts next year, let's see what a difference in quarterback, potentially offensive line and scheme might make for, uh, for, you know, this football team. Uh, now, the other questions are going to be, what are the Colts do with, with free agents on defense? You know, we've acknowledged, you know, Bobby O'Kara and EJ speed. Um, they've had good years, but if you got Shaq Leonard, you got Zaire Franklin for two more years, what do your linebackers look like? And then is Stefan Gilmore back next year? Is Yanni Ngakwe back next year? And so those are questions you're not really thinking of right now, but that kind of comes in, you know, secondary, tertiary, et cetera. So there are plenty of questions. It's not just the quarterback, but I put them at quarterback and offensive line at 1A or 1B, then you get to everything else.
3: Hey, Greg, I know this in closing, that it doesn't matter because Jim Merce is going to end up hiring who Jim Irsay wants to hire whether it's going to be Jeff Saturday or somebody else they end up interviewing after the season. But did he mistakenly, putting Jeff Saturday in this situation, did he set him up for a failure in the eyes of the fan base? If nothing it else?
4: certainly appears that way. Um, and again, you, you prefaced it very well. If you just went on the results that you have seen and the drop this team has been under – then you would say you're not bringing back Jeff Saturday. But Jim Irsay looks at things in a different way than I think the rest of us do. Is it Jim Irsay's call? Is it Chris Ballard's call? Is it somebody in Chris Ballard's job's call as far as whether it's Jeff Saturday or somebody ex- else You know, next year? Who knows at this point? So if you just went by how this team has played, since Jeff was named the head coach, then no, he would not be back next year. But... Is he the head coach next year? Who knows? Because it's been awfully difficult to read exactly the direction that Jim Merce is going to go with this thing.
3: All right. One final thing with Greg Rakestraw on and the Andy Moore automotive group hotline. Does Does Jim Marseille at least as we sit here right now and talk, evidently want to continue the Chris Ballard era because he truly believes in him because he still has to pay him or because he likes to go ahead and influence decisions that normally the owner most of the time football-wise would stay out of, and it's either clear Ballard's cool with it or doesn't do too much about it. One of the three, all the three, any of the three accurate in your estimation?
4: I'm not sure exactly how the situation is going to play out. The one thing of those statements that I feel I know with it is, is Ballard cool with it? I would say no. There's a lot of things that your boss tells you to do that you're not cool with, but you do it because of the job that you have, uh, because you don't want to lose the job that you have, and you just deal with it. That would be my best guess on trying to read Chris Ballard's you know, thoughts on the situation as it currently stands with the Indianapolis Colts. Um, but is Chris going to be the general manager a month from now? I have no earthly idea. A lot of the same reasons I just told you about is Jeff Saturday is going to be the head coach of this team a month from now as well.
3: All right, brother, where are you going to be later on this week? So
4: um, I'll be heading not as far south as you, but east coming up here in a couple hours. I've got Cathedral and Warren Central coming up tonight on My Indy TV. Tomorrow, I've got games at two different sites. I've got the opening stage the North Central's holiday tournament in the morning. Then I've got standalone game between Carmel and Anderson tomorrow at Carmel. Then I'll be setting up shop in Newcastle on Thursday and Friday for the Girls and then Boys Hall of Fame Classics. All told, John, starting at 7.30 tonight, I will have 12 games in 75 hours. And last night was the first night of a stretch of 10 consecutive days. Either I'll have a game to broadcast on TV or the Internet or a football game to talk about on the Colts Radio Network at 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan.
3: I have a great memory of the Hall of Fame Classic. Once upon a time, I went over there to watch Perry Meridian play, and my good friend Brandon Ray put up 36 against uh, Adam Liddell and that other dude that I think played somewhere in D1 for DeKalb back in the day at Newcastle. Very nice. It was, yeah. and it was all, on, all on layups. Brandon I, Ray, 36 I, I, in that afternoon game. Every one of them were layups. Beautiful. See, I
4: assumed that you were going to, you know, you were doing the Green County thing, and you were over there following <laughs> Brody Boyd and and Jared Chambers and uh, and Union of Duggar when they played that event 22. I thought that was the direction you were going to go with that.
3: Now, now a little B. Ray over there back in the day when what he did in dismantling DeKalb in that afternoon game. Hey, who's in it? Girls and boys before I let you go.
4: All right, girls' wise, Mishawaka, Marion, Noblesville, East Central, Bedford, North Lawrence. Uh, boys' Jeff Allen. wise, yep. Go ahead. Shout out to Jeff Allen at BNL. Go ahead. There you go. Boys' wise, Ben Davis and Penner one and two in the state. I don't know what poll you look at, they'll play each other in the morning. Uh, the other game is Northwood in North Davies. Then winners play Friday night. And again, we'll have the boys consolation and championship games on TV twenty three starting Friday night at six o'clock.
3: Shout out to Brent Dalrymple, again, the defending champion, North Davies. And they are moving from – they move from one to three in class, which is awesome. And Jeff Allen is the head coach of Bedford North Lawrence. He is, like me, a native of Owensburg, Indiana in Greene County. There you go. He's good people, and they're a good team. I think they are – I think they're
4: easily the team that will get to the semi-state. Remember, four teams go to the semi-state now, not two, like it's been for the last 20-something years. They're a semi-state team um, because most of the really good indie area teams go in the northern half of the state. would not surprise me if North lawrence is in the 4A state championship game. South Bend, Washington is extremely good. I saw Zionsville and the girls a couple weeks ago. They're really good. They're not very deep, but they're really good. And Zionsville beat BNL when they played at the sneakers event in Brownsburg on November the 26th. But I, I I could see the Stars making it to Gamebridge Fieldhouse uh, for the 4A State Finals. That's how good Jeff's team is this year.
3: Jeff, back in the late 70s, early 80s, played for both Ray Meyer and Joey Meyer. And I should say played. He sat for uh, Ray Meyer and Joey Meyer <laughs> at DePaul. But he was there, baby. <laughs> he was there. And, it gives uh, me an he's an awesome to, dude, by the way. It gives
4: me an excuse just to say Dallas comedies. <laughs> yeah, well, program. that was, that was fun. Ray he
3: was it. with uh, – I think he was with – uh, Tyrone Corbin, Terry Cummings. I think he's on the other side of Mark Aguirre. Um, Kenny Patterson was a part of that Depaul team. Brett Burkholder was a six foot ten, six foot 11 guy. That was his roommate. Um, so he, uh, he played with a yeah. who's who certainly a DePaul back in the day.
4: If, if he was between Aguirre and Tom that would put him squarely from 1981 to 1985. You're right around that yes, window, right there.
3: Exactly. I think it was. I think it was 81 and 82. I know that they normally DePaul, other than the Final Four in '79 when they made it all the way to Salt Lake City, normally DePaul was like one of those disappointing teams, having a great year and then kind of disappointing with that level of talent. I think they they were supposed to, in '81. Remember, they got bounced before. The uh, the Sweet 16 or the regionals that took place at Assembly Hall in Bloomington when IU went on to Philly and won that national title in '81, so they were supposed well, to be there. I think they got beat the maybe by upset. either Wake Forest or Boston upset. College or UAB or somebody like that. So, right, '81. That was the year of of uh, US Reed
4: beating Louisville on a half court shot. So '81 yep. was the year of the upsets in the tournament.
3: Greg, have fun, man. We'll be listening. Thanks, brother. Thanks, buddy. Greg Rakeshaw on and the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. Your calls on the other side at 239-1070. Shelbyville, Buffalo Wild Wings, 935 107 the fan.
0: Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclib 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you.
1: the ride with jmv you take drugs danny every day good so what's the problem i don't know 93.5 and 107.5 the fan
3: i'm in shelbyville and i'm damn glad to be in shelbyville on this tuesday <laughs> buffalo wild wings blue tuesday we got great food here i've got an autographed helmet to give away tickets to the uh Colts regular season finale at home versus the Texans the week after next. Also in play coming up in the 6 o'clock hour. The Colts super suck last night. 20-3 to was the final at home on Monday Night Football uh, where they kind of got clowned a little bit by Joe Buck and Troy Aikman. So they were trying to make up, give us a little content last night. Hey, I will say this. I don't know what some of your problem was. Actually, I don't want to say some. That's too many. Like two dudes last night thought that the Derwin James hit was clean, or said, I hate the way this soft football is played. Um, That was leading with the crown of the helmet to the neck and head area. There was nothing, and I mean no call out there, that was easier to make than that. That was some perfect stuff last night. And not only did it knock out Ashton Doolin, into concussion protocol, but Nubnuts put himself in concussion protocol last night. And he doubled down on the concussion protocol. Do you see? Actually, when he got up, he was more wobbly than Doolin was. But I get two dudes trying to tell me how soft the NFL is, and both of these nerds would get stuffed into trash can by any of these dudes in five seconds. How soft the NFL, oh, it's so soft, I can't believe it, I can't watch it. Well, don't watch that. Right, I'm not watching it to see that. Well, and then how would Ronnie Lott be in the Hall of Fame? Well, he wouldn't, because all that stuff took place in 1983. All right? Most of that would not fly. Steve Atwater's stuff wouldn't fly. You can go down most of a list of any successful safety that goes back prior to, what, 15 years ago? And most of that stuff wouldn't fly. Last night was an easy call. On the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline from PFF, that's Pro Football Focus, our betting and information and numbers analyst, Ben Brown, joins us. So uh, happy holidays to you. Did you get an autographed Tommy Kramer jersey for Christmas as a Vikings fan? Hello, Ben, are you there? Ben can you hear me? Hello. Ben Can you hear are me? Are you there? Can you hear, I can me? hear you now, buddy? Yeah. Are you there? The Tommy the
5: Tommy Kramer jersey unfortunately did not find its way under the Christmas tree <laughs> this year, but uh I did get to I did get to attend live and in the flesh the uh, whiteout game on Christmas Eve for the Vikings, which, you oh, know, emerged boy. victorious on a
3: 61-yard field goal. So, I think that was, you know, uh, Christmas present enough for me, I guess, this year. You know your fellows are living on borrowed time, though. They're going to be bounced about as quickly as they enter the postseason. You know that, right? I know. I mean, so <laughs> I
5: think even, you know, five to ten years ago, 15 years ago, when I was, you know, a younger buck or whatever, like my my optimism yep. would have been running uh, rampant at this point, right? But I think I'm just taking it all in stride. I'm enjoying you know, the, the trajectory with which they're probably going to land and crash and burn. But uh, at this point, I'm kind of just enjoying the ride because it's been, you know, I-, I would say better than expectation. And anything on top of that, I would say, you know, might be just gravy at this point.
3: Who's your favorite Vikings player of all time? And how deep can you go with your favorite player? Is it somebody that, like from a year ago? It like Adam Thielen, who's presently on the no. team? No. Th-
5: No, I mean, I'm growing up when I did, I timed it pretty well with the Randy Moss glory days. And I feel like far and away, uh, bar none, I, I, you know, obviously there's, there's a, you know, the, the popularity aspect and everything else. I do have some, you know, under the radar type players that I greatly enjoyed as well. But uh, you know, as a young kid growing up in Minnesota, it doesn't get any better than Randy Moss. And I would, and I would maybe debate not necessarily, you know, uh, top-end production at the wide receiver position, but I think most talented wide receiver, um, I I would probably still lean in Randy Moss's direction over a guy like Jerry Rice. I know that might be a hot take, but uh, that's that's, that's how fond I am of Randy Moss.
3: Let me tell you this. uh, There's nobody in Vikings history better than Ahmad Rashad and or Sammy White, all right? So don't get me started. Right. So you don't even know who I'm talking about. That Amad Rashad so was a far. little bit. Well, I know who, I, I know who my was. He
5: was just a little <laughs> bit before my time. I was more of like the Robert Smith, the Robert Smith era who, you know, he, he retired young. I had, you know, the Roy hoard. If you need three yards, I can get you three yards. If you need five yards, I can get you three yards. Like the, the throwback <laughs> running back guys, those sorts of things. So that's, that's more of the era in which I was in the, I would say the sweet spot, maybe the, not so much the old and olden days, but uh, the
3: glory days, maybe. Hey, me and my friends here, Bill and Kent, we go back to the days of Scott Studwell playing linebacker. That's where we go right there, buddy. Hey. Scott Studwell. You yep. know, because I always wanted that I, last I name. I know him as well. I mean, <laughs> yes, I know that.
5: I mean the perfect linebacker last name, but I mean, he had, he kind of had it all at least as far as like the linebacker-esque Uh, you know, of the throwback days for sure. So he is definitely, you know, Minnesota sports legend. No, no no doubt about it.
3: All right. Did you do any of the background numbers, informational work last night to find out who had, as a starter this season, the lowest quarterback rating for a game in its entirety? And did Nick Foles set that mark last night with his awful performance? Where are we? It, it was, it
5: was pretty bad. I would
3: say I, I looked at
5: it from an EPA perspective, which, you know, EPA per offensive play uh, generated the Colts now have the three lowest weekly performances of EPA of any team in the NFL. One of, you know, they have three of the four weeks of teams that generated, you know, minus 0.5 or worse EPA per offensive play. Uh, So that was, uh, we would say probably the second worst overall offensive performance last night of any team in the NFL, uh, beaten only by uh, the week nine version of the Indianapolis Colts that they put forth against the New England. (laughs) (laughs) Those are kind of the two, the two games that
3: have been the worst so far this season. So the two worst offensive performances, according to PFF, would be the Colts, And the Patriots, which ultimately got, was the final straw for Frank Reich. He was gassed after that. And then last night's offensive performance on Monday Night Football, correct?
5: Yep. So we got the Colts in week nine, worst offensive EPA performance this season. The Colts in week 16 against the Chargers last night was the second worst. And then the
3: Colts in week two against the Jaguars was the third worst. Wow. That's great. That sounds like that's a quick fix right there offensively, is it not? Hey, just go out there and draft a quarterback and everything's going to be fine. Is that true? It's the way that looks, right? I, I mean, mean it, I, the thing is, is, we've also had this mentality or idea
5: that, you know, quarterbacks and quality quarterback play in some ways kind of grows on trees, right? And, and, and kind of discovering that that is very much the problem. But until you can actually find that and unearth that, Like the the rest of the, the rest of the solutions don't really get where they need to be, I would say. But I mean, I I don't mind taking a chance in the draft, but I think, you know, even in that situation, there's definitely no guarantee.
3: So Ben Brown, of PFF. He is on the Andy Moore automotive group hotline every Tuesday here in the four o'clock hour, going over the numbers and the analytics. So any quarterbacks that you know of any quarterbacks that you've looked up that had a worst individual by the numbers, according to PFF performance, than Nick Foles did individually last night this season.
5: That's that's a good. Qu- so I can actually look that up pretty quickly here.
3: Let awesome. Me- you want me to waste um, some time while you look that up?
5: Yeah, sing a you know, sing a song or something here really quick.
3: All right. So okay. Nick Foles. I'll put everybody to sleep with this: seventeen of twenty-nine, one forty-three, an average of under five yards. <laughs> Uh, per catch three interceptions sack seven times his quarterback rating 31.9 in a world where you got to be over 100 to have a decent to good game 31.9 was his quarterback rating all right where are we Ben he wasn't
5: he so I, from PFS perspective he wasn't I would say at the worst that we've had so far this season. Now, granted, we have had some players that haven't thrown very many dropbacks. So There's some, you know, uh, you know, situations playing out with that as well. But, you know, the three interceptions obviously really bad, but he was, I would say probably like, like the 15th or so worst PFF passing grade so far this season. So definitely not the worst. Uh, we actually had even, you know, a, a guy like Zach Wilson bait, um, you know, this week, with the worst, you know, PFF passing grade than what Nick Foles put forth. So maybe a little bit is, you know, the, the accuracy percentage and his willingness to at least throw the football downfield. But, uh, you, you know, from that perspective, he wasn't, he wasn't the
3: worst of the worst and, and wasn't even the worst, I would say in week 16. Zach Wilson was nine of 18, 92 yards, sacked three times his quarterback rating was 41.9. And that was better than Foles last night.
5: So that, for, according to PFF grade,
3: that was better than he he was. How are
5: you guys Bulls, grading? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> what
4: numbers are you I using to grade?
5: This is so this is throws. Yeah, so this is this is obviously passing dropbacks. We uh, this isn't including um, you know his I would say his performance basically in, in rushing situations, which you, you know it is obviously um, a detriment. But yeah, we have him. We had. You know, Malik Willis had a worse passing performance than uh, a, worse, a worse passing grade than what Nick Foles had in Week 16. Yep, we had we had we had Malik Willis with a 39.6 passing grade, 29 well, dropbacks, 24 attempts, 15 completions, 119 yards, two interceptions.
3: So Malik Willis, 14 to 23, 99 yards, two interceptions, a quarterback rating of 34 and a half. He was sacked four times. That was Malik Wool. I can't believe yeah. we're talking about according to PFF a worse performance than we saw from Nick Foles. Now, do you guys take into numbers consideration when the quarterback throws it directly to a defensive player? <laughs> I mean, just like is there anything believe- like like you just drop back and not even under duress but you just throw it right to a defensive player like he's on your team? Do you guys consider that? Right. We I mean, we consider it and
5: we and there are like scales for how bad plays can actually be. Right. And even if it doesn't end up being an interception, because he does try and throw it to the guy and the guy for some reason doesn't catch it. Like we would still grade that as a turnover worthy type play. So we had Nick Foles with four of those, um, you know, turnover worthy type plays, which is, you know, among the worst of the worst, I haven't looked at what that grade distribution is if he has like the first, what we would classify as like a minus two grade on any single play uh, from one of those attempts last night. But um, I, I, and I can look at that, but yeah, he had four turnover-worthy plays, three interceptions. Um, there have been a couple cases where a guy, a guy has had like five, five or more, you know, turnover-worthy type plays, which uh, Nick Foles definitely got up there and has a really high percentage of those plays. But um, we still had him, you know, with a couple, I would say, uh, you know, throws to the point where he wasn't like the worst graded player from a passing perspective in week 16.
3: It's Ben Brown of PFF on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. All right, get to some of these other incredibly ugly offensive and offensive numbers we saw from this Colts team last night. And this is something that we have concentrated on, the offensive line, all season long. And, And to me, it looked like a combination of the offensive line doing its normal offensive line things. And a quarterback that is incredibly inaccurate incredibly slow, well, well past it, and at times would just throw it to somebody else not on his team, thinking, I guess, he was on his team. So but right. the offensive line, what role did they play? Numbers-wise, what do they look like?
5: Yeah, I mean, so we had we had Will Fries with a, a slightly above average, I would say, overall offensive grade, both run blocking and pass blocking. Bernard Raymond was essentially, I would say, right around league average from both a pass block and run blocking perspective. And then the rest of the three guys, very much below average. And in some ways, it was, you know, an issue with the pressure type situations, but kind of like you said, there was just no feel or rhythm whatsoever for Nick Foles in the pocket when he did make some throws, even to, you know, a guy like Michael Pittman when they needed to convert the chains, you know, the catch wasn't there either. So I, I would say that the, you know, the offensive line probably deserves some sort of responsibility in this equation. But uh, if I'm allocating it out, uh, I very much think coach and quarterback probably come and make a, much bigger piece of that pie than what the, the offensive line contributed to last
3: night. Uh, play caller, I guess, in Parks Frazier, when you talk about uh, the coach, that's where we point as far as some of these calls that have been made since he's taken over from being, you know, basically yeah, uh, an assistant th- intern type of guy to the play caller.
5: Right. I mean, and that's you know kind of the situation that we talked about when they did fire Frank Reich, right? And they kind of went in Parks Fraser's direction. Was like there, there's no there's no real thing to fall back on for him. And then the one spot that Frank Reich was really good, uh, you know, was some of these scripted play type situations where you had some of the highest EPA generated on those first 15 set of plays of any of any of any you know coordinator in the nfl and and when that kind of fell off like the colts are the worst passing offense on scripted plays so far this season now uh you know especially without frank reich or especially when they moved on from frank reich and i think you know falling up falling behind early and, and just having no counterpunch to what the defense is actually bringing you is probably one of the main reasons why uh they have been such an inept offense i would say so far
3: Here's what stands out to me, Ben, and I don't know if you have numbers to back this up, numbers to solidify this, but we're talking about, in terms of Matt Ryan and Nick Foles, two quarterbacks that have had a level of success in the NFL over a number of years. You know, once likely a future Hall of Famer, but they've had a great deal of success. They're both veteran quarterbacks and... They, in the Ryan starts most of the time, and certainly in that full start last night, they look like that they've never played a down in the NFL as quarterback with decision-making, with efficient, with all of that. is, Is that just the offense in general? Is that them? Is that the offensive line not doing what they're supposed to do? Is it the lack of trust in who they're throwing it to? Because that, to me, if there's one thing that's clear with these two veteran quarterbacks is they look like that they've never played in the NFL before decision-making wise. Where do we, by the numbers, lump that criticism and reason why they look like that? Are they just over the hill? Are they past it? Are they washed? Or is that just a product of where this offense is?
5: Yeah. I mean, I, and I don't have a great way of quantifying this. This is obviously something we very much, you know, are working on and striving towards and trying to better understand, I would say, but from my perspective and when I'm looking at it, I do think it goes back to the offensive scheme because that's kind of been the one constant across all of these guys. It, it, it's, it's, and, and it's kind of the same thing, right? We have seen them be successful very much in other situations and other surroundings with other coaches. Now, the one constant we've seen this year has been the has been the coaching situation, and they've all looked really poor. And, and and no facet of play is really playing well at this point, right? So I do think you know the it obviously builds on top of one another. And, and yeah. if you are above average in certain areas, that's supposed to carry you. But th- they very much don't have any of that. And I think you know where that falls is very much you know on, on the coaching staff, and then maybe to a lesser extent, you know how this how this offensive unit you know was was built and put together and, and, the, and the units in which they were hoping to be strong and haven't been in that situation whatsoever.
3: Yeah, I guess on the other side, the Chargers offense didn't look great either. Justin Herbert didn't look great. I, I think it crossed the board I and mean, they got the job done against a really bad team on that Monday night, but I don't think offensively the Chargers had anything to write home about last night. Right, I mean, I think there was kind of like the
5: one broken play where they got the trick play kind of throwback back to Justin Herbert, where Keenan Allen probably should have scored. But you know, outside of you know a couple maybe chunk plays, like the Colts continue to play really sound defense. So they are really strong against the run. I would say their two outside cornerbacks, Stephon Gilmore and you know Isaiah Rogers, who did get a little bit banged up last night, like they continue to play pretty good football. And they got you know the turnover situation. I think you know Kt Pay as well had a sack. So defensively very much I would say is not the problem whatsoever for this Colts team, right? It's just the fact that they're starting behind early and and they're only getting three points basically, right? Or 10 points. And it's really hard to win football games. You know, it's really hard I would say to hold teams, to 20 or less points consistently. The Colts have kind of lived in that direction. I think that does speak to, a you know, a, an above average and a sound defense, but, um, you know, a, at the end of the day, you need to be able to put up some points as well, you know, and, and the Colts just aren't providing that whatsoever. So we'll see how they finish out these two games, but I, I think there are definitely some bright spots, I would say on the defensive side of the
3: football. Do you guys grade out general managers in the NFL? <laughs>
5: So that's, it, it's kind of interesting that you say that because there, we, I did have like a conversation with some people this past year about what would even go into, uh, you know, evaluating whether a general manager was doing a good job. And a lot of it is probably like the draft capital and kind of outperforming, you know, where you picked in relation to what you actually received the past couple of seasons. And that has been a spot where Chris Ballard has been good, but You know, outside of that, there's probably some other elements of roster construction, not overpaying guys at, you know, non-premium type positions and those sorts of things, which could probably and should be also included in that evaluation. But I I think, you know, very much so those conversations have never really developed in the public space to the point where we've gotten, you know, a, a ton of good metrics on how we could even evaluate some of these general managers. And I think, you know, in some ways, you know, Chris Ballard, has done pretty well from a draft capital perspective and and has, you know, in some ways hit on a few guys, but um, you know, overall and kind of like pressing the wrong positions and allocating too many resources to some of those positions, you know, in some ways might be the reason why he should be knocked more than what he actually has been so far.
3: Um, I don't think there's anybody out there at that position in the NFL that has been overrated as overvalued as him. Um, now, I tell you what, when you guys do put something together with the general manager, you got to find a way to factor in results too. I don't know if there is. Right. I mean, you guys are the you guys are the guys yeah. that come up with the numbers here, but I, I you got to factor in results. And and this is what I say and it sounds really simple, but we've had 6 years of this. And by now this is, you know, without the whole luck saga, you know, with the change in quarterback that that constant You know, revolution of of quarterbacks in and out, year after year. All that aside, you saw this last night. This is a complete and absolute mess. And this is a plan that has failed. So I I think there's got to be some way you factor that in. You know, beyond the, well, this is what he got in round three, when you know, draft value or whatever. I think results, results should matter. And it seems like oftentimes maybe they don't, or at least in this case, it doesn't at all seem like they do. Right.
5: And people kind of get upset at the idea of like, you know, wins are this quarterback stat because very much, you know, they they control one aspect of it. But it's hard to judge a quarterback based on just how they've won or lost. But I do agree with you that that is very much in some ways the, the the necessity or the bedrock for how you're going to evaluate these GMs. And, and maybe you could use some, you know, betting components as far as like, if they, you know, overperformed or underperformed their, you know, win total expectation and their, and their chances of getting into the playoffs and those sorts of things. But, you know, I'm very much like, how you produce and how many playoff wins you have and those sorts of things are are probably most closely related and should be most closely associated with the general manager position more so than probably, you know, I I would say any other, you know, front office or position that the NFL team puts forward.
3: So Ben Brown at PFF. Now I'm going to give you a minute to look that up. Um, go, Go to your Colts page right here. Explosive plays. You guys catalog those explosive plays. We do, I'm sorry, I tried not to burp when I was saying exactly, that, but I did.
5: It happens, it happens. No, we, we basically try and, um, you know, allocate in like, you know, 20 yards yeah. for passing play, 15 yards for run play. In some ways, you know, you know EPA can kind of, um, you know, also capture that and kind of gives better context for, um, you, you know, the situation as well. But, yeah, we very much have like an explosive plays percentage and those sorts of things where, where do
3: the colts rank if you can tell me compared to what is i'm not even talking about the elite level in the nfl but what is just the average of the nfl with what you guys describe define as explosive plays
5: yeah so we let me look it up here this might take me a second. Sorry, I did not have this one. I
3: know. I always in, take in you. I, th- I think our date listening date audience date. understands that I end up asking you questions that you're not prepared for. And they kind of <laughs> they cuss me out for that. Not you. So that, that, I'm the one that gets that's good. I'm the that one I, that gets ripped for that. Not you. I appreciate that. Yeah, it would be. Uh, I, I know you get ripped for
5: probably too much, unfortunately. As no, that's OK. Know. I don't get. ripped for enough. I need to be ripped more.
3: So if you if you guys did NBA numbers and, for example, if PFF did like Miles Turner, uh, that's when I would really get ripped. But luckily for me, you guys don't do that. So I appreciate that very much. That's that's when I would get ripped, which is ridiculous as to why I do. But I would certainly get ripped right there. So explosive plays by the Colts this season compared to what is just the 2022 season average for NFL teams in the explosive Plays category because to me it seems like Ben there, there hasn't been there's been little to none and, and again I'm coming at you right. from an incredibly pessimistic viewpoint right here because that's all that this team has given us that's the only reason we've been given right here but where would they rank as far as the NFL this season is concerned?
5: Yeah. So I'm doing this quick and dirty so that I can kind of look at it. Basically they have the third lowest percentage of, uh, of explosive type plays, which I'm defining as just a a threshold of 20 or more yards gained in that particular play. So they have the third lowest percentage basically of any team in football. The only two teams lower than them giants and Rams. So they have gotten a couple, I I would say basically like six running plays, 39 pass plays. Um, But it's, it's, it's been very much, I would say, you know, few and far between and one of the worst rates in football uh, this season. If I, if I, of- yeah. if I remove it. But- ex- yeah. If I remove penalty plays, which, you know, there's obviously some situations where pass interference can come into effect. They have the fourth lowest. So they improve slightly and they do jump the Pittsburgh Steelers in that situation.
3: It's uh, Ben Brown of PFF with all the analytics knowledge every single Tuesday. Right here on this show. I'm glad you had a spectacular holiday. And you got all that Vikings gear. And you got to participate in that glorious whiteout. Uh, so have a great New Year's Eve, too. Now, where does the PFF guy go for New Year's Eve? Do you, what, do you, what do you do? Do you play like That's Simon at home? That. You guys all get together and play Simon I at home? <laughs>
5: No, that would be fun. I wish I got on that group chat. I'm probably not on there. I'm sure there are some guys at TFF that do that, though, so, but so, I'm, not yeah, on in,
3: I'm not on the inner workings of that. So. <laughs> My man, I appreciate you more than you know, and we'll be back coming up next week to go over what will be the uh, the numbers with the Giants in mind of these final two games. Ben, thank you very much. Have a fantastic New Year. We'll talk at you next week. Thanks, JMV. Have a great New Year as well. Ben Brown, a pro football focus right there. Beep, boop, boop, beep, beep. Anybody still plays Simon? Can you imagine all those PFF guys just sitting around the kitchen table drinking root beer and playing Simon? That's New Year's Eve right there from our PFF guys right there. Quick break and welcome back. A Tuesday with this show means we're at Shelbyville. The Buffalo Wild Wings got stuff to give away. I'll explain on the other side, but I got time. Finally, I've carved out a little bit of time. At 239-1070. The Colts 20 to 3 losers last night. Colts now in the season 4, 10 and 1. Currently banked fifth as far as the draft first round pick category is concerned. Dive into that. Your thoughts and why, especially if you want to convince me, why, if you believe he does, why do you consider Chris Ballard deserving of a seventh year? Just out of curiosity. Quick break and we'll come back at 239-1070. Zach for top of the hour, 93.5 and 107.5, the fan.
0: Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kiskali Ribocyclib 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kiskali is right for you.
1: The Ride with JMV. Well, you're going to have to say that. You're going to have to speak up because I can't hear you. 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan.
3: Hey, welcome back. Are you playing the clean version of this song back there, James, right here? Uh, Because I'm going to have to add in my wah -ah -ah in just a second if we're not careful. Anybody want to hear that? A Wah! -ah -ah. (laughs) I believe. I hope you got the clean version here. ah, ah, ah. This is Disturbed from the late 90s, early 2000s. And if memory serves, Drew Brees' favorite band back in the day was Disturbed. Does anybody remember that? Why do I remember that? Former Boilermaker quarterback Drew Brees' favorite band back in the day was Disturbed. Unbelievable. I got to get our guy Tucker Barnhart on. I can't believe he screwed me like he did and decided to sign with the Cubs. What? Just completely screwed me over. Are you not even thinking about me? Obviously, I'm joking. I am fantastically glad he's going to be with the Cubs. And he's going to be behind the plate. And I'm going to be even more excited when he decides to bring me up there as um, a super fan and friend of Tucker Barnhart at some point. So, yeah, so Wilson Contreras left and goes to the Cardinals. And really, the only place worse than the Cubs that he could have gone would be the Cardinals. But at the very least, I feel good that, you know, in, you know, platooning is, I guess, what their plan is right now with Tucker. We got to get him on the show later on this week, too, in the platoon version here that uh, he's going to be taking over for Wilson Contreras. So that makes me feel good right there as a guy that didn't like Wilson Contreras, That makes me feel good. All right, live at Shelbyville, Buffalo Wild Wings. Thank you for joining us on this Tuesday. Zach Kiefer, top of the hour. Uh, We are trying to spread a little bit of cheer in, well, really a spot for Colts fans. It's tough to find it right here. And I'm not I'm not gonna blow smoke up your rear end at all. You guys know what this is. It's an absolute, it's an utter disaster. And for the life of me, I have no idea how in the world Jim Ursay believes that Chris Ballard would have trust in Chris Ballard for another year, much less another two years. And some of you disagree with that take. And as we have talked about, it doesn't surprise me at all. I just it's not about the money, is it? It's not about what he's gonna be owed. Is it that tough to go out and find somebody else? Is there that, that trust there that he has with Ballard over than what he would certainly have with, with Reich? That part I don't get. You guys that are believers out there are going to have to explain it to me if you don't mind. All right, 239-1070 is the number. Let's work in Bill's call. Hello, Bill. How are you? I'm
6: great, JMV. Thanks for taking my call.
3: You got it, brother. Um,
6: Your previous guest, uh, when you were talking about some sort of uh, accountability on the general managers, Mm -hmm. uh, I think you're spot on with that, because I think Ballard, when does Ballard sit down in front of a television camera and say, this is on me, this is my fault. The last four or five years have been my fault. And and you're going to see that come to a, a head come draft time if they pick a quarterback that... Is old school and is nothing but a pocket passer. You can't win like that anymore. These young studs coming out of college, they like that run pass option, and that's what makes everything exciting in football. You're not going to see that with the Colts unless they dry, uh, draft that type of a quarterback. And then well, the second.
3: He- yes, go ahead, Bill. I'm sorry. Go ahead.
6: The second thing is, I watched the game last night and I watched it up until halftime, but I was ready to turn it off when. Thomas got the interception and the whole defensive line ran down to the end zone and did their little pose when they're losing the game. That makes me so damn mad. I could just spit and somebody has got to rein that in. That's not football. That's not doing your job, going to the sideline and getting the offense out there. I, I hate that. I really do.
3: Hey Bill, thank you for the call for you though. I guess this is unfortunate for you because that is absolutely part of football now. They put cameras down there. They know where the cameras are, so they, they do that. That is absolutely a part of football. And listen, I would have been cool last night if Nick Foles would have th- thrown a completion if he would run down the field and posed in front of the camera, all right, because there's so few and far between. So I been okay, Nick Foles. Now, the problem you would have had is the play clock would have ran out three times with the amount of time. It would have taken him to run down the field to pose after a completion. But I would have been okay with that. Yeah, that stuff doesn't bother me. But, Bill, I do want to get back to the point that you made. No, you have to have an athletic quarterback, strong-arm quarterback. And you're going to go, oh, yeah, JV, really? Yeah, tell me something else I don't know. But with the way this offensive line is constructed and with the way that it plays, And this has been a consistency this season. They've had moments where they haven't been as bad, but more bad moments than they have good. You have to get somebody that has that escapability and has that strong arm, because we have seen what it is like with guys that are incredibly immobile and have noodle arms and are old and past it. So with what Chris Ballard has put together with this offensive line, which... Often, more times than not, the season has failed. There's no doubt. Now, the thing of it is, that's where the quarterback play is going in this area anyway. But you have to draft somebody. You have to draft somebody that has a capability and a strong arm. Because if you continue to go with this offensive line build right now, that's not going to get it done. That is not going to get it done. So, that is a must. Now... I guess if you're looking at a bright side of this, they are moving in a losing in a direction to where that possibility is going to be there. They're just going to have to select the right one. And we shall see, or in this case, it seems like Chris Ballard is going to have to select the right one. So, yeah, there's no doubt. That's what you want anyway, but that is what you have to have with this group because this group has shown no consistency of being able to protect at the level in which you pay most of them, or you're going to pay most of them. And believe me, as much as people think Bernard Ryman is coming along, we really don't know. We really don't know. All right, this thing is a discombobulated mess right now. Anytime he stands in front of anybody for more than two and a half seconds, uh, everybody probably gets a sports arousal that knows the offensive line and the left tackle position because, hey, look what he's doing, unlike nobody else is able to do. So you really don't know. You hope, but you don't know. Bill, thank you for the call. Chris is up next at 239 1070. Chris, go ahead.
7: Hey, Jay. Thank you for making my call. I love your show. Um, thank you, brother. He filled my lips with so much I want to say, man. Uh, just on Chris Ballard, I'm so much with you. We can show him the door, and he can take that smug personality or whatever you want to call it with him. And uh, 100%, why, why win results? Isn't that everything? Win or lose, results is everything. And I don't get it. You can lose 17 years in a row, but, man, he had a great budget. What the heck sense does that make? Anyway, really what I wanted to say, the way he has – built this team does it make sense that he built a team with a line he even used his draft picks for a running back second round which is not really the prototypical thing to do these days is he like playing back in the 80s 90s where he yes. wants a running team and yes. that's how we win in this and then we yes. build some defense and that's yes. how we're going to win a championship instead of the high flying like you know the show uh, the turf you know whatever show offensive thing there and uh, yes. St. Louis back in the day, that's that's the future. Uh, but really, one last thing, and I'll let you get back to, to my comments, is what about uh, uh, the Rams uh, back up there? Look at him, what he's doing. Um, would he be an option for us and then us maybe draft someone? Because like your guest prior that does all the data, those picks for quarterbacks are never guaranteed. And if we had someone like Baker in there, hold it down. Maybe he bloom blossoms into maybe what he could be again. I know we've taken this, but we also draft a young prototypical future quarterback and see what happens. Thanks for taking my call, Jay.
3: You got it, Chris. Thank you very much. I, I don't know who the backup quarterback is going to be. Um, and you, you, we'll see the type of priority they put on that. But to me, it starts this year. I mean, you draft one of the stop rated quarterbacks and if You don't think that's going to work? Then you're going to try it again. And I'm assuming Chris Ballard is going to be the guy that has the do-over and the do-over and the do-over here. But you have now, you've got plenty of reasons to move on without the thought of Baker Mayfield or Derek Carr or Zach Wilson or anybody. That's now where you move. Your team, your team at its level of play, has dictated where you go now. And I think that's ultimately going to be, be pretty easy as a result. I shouldn't say that the pick is going to be easy because, listen, there's not been a great deal of good fortune surrounding this team and whatever it does. That part's not going to be easy. You know, getting, picking the right one and having that right one flourish, I'm not suggesting that's going to be easy. But the direction that you go with your pick, that decision better be easy. Because if it's not easy, something is stratospherically wrong with the person, again, making that selection. Know how I feel about that. T. Shaw writes this, AJMV, will you pick up anyone dying on the side of the road this New Year's Eve? That goes back to the story where I saved a guy named Scott's life back in the day in Greene County. Because I was on a back road, it was five degrees below zero. I had to leave my girlfriend's house, and her parents had a party. Uh, I left, and it was was like at a fever pitch when I left, they were all playing canasta. And I said, somebody get me the hell out of here. So I'm driving someplace else. And alongside of the road, a classmate of mine, Scott, was passed out in the ditch and had been there so long that the barf that he had on the front of his shirt was frozen to it. And his car was on. He's in the ditch so I go, oh my God, this guy's going to die if I don't pick him up, and I'm in my truck here, and he stunk so bad that I said, there's no way you're drunk, puking all over yourself as is riding in this truck, so I made him ride in the back, and then I went by somebody's home that I knew, and I opened up the front door, and they weren't home, and luckily we live in GC near Owensburg, so everybody's front door is open, so I just opened it up and shoved him in there, put him inside the door, shut it, he was warm, he was saved, and I went home and didn't have to play canasta, so it was all a really good New Year's Eve right there. Thank you, T. Shaw, for bringing that up. Very good memory. One of the worst New Year's Eves of all time. That's why the JMV Takeover is your destination coming up on Saturday night. You know you will not have a bad New Year's Eve if you have me on from 6 until question mark. And I say question mark because I have no idea how late we're going to go. Last year, I went to 115. I've got to be back in the station at 10 a.m. the next morning anyway. For the Colts pregame huddle, so we may go all night. We may go until 3 a.m. I haven't figured that out yet. But your New Year's Eve will be much better than mine, even though I did save the life of a former classmate on that particular New Year's Eve. Quick break. We're back. Your calls and more is at Kiefer. Top of the hour. We celebrate at the Shelbyville Buffalo Wild Wings, and Susie's going to join us to tell you why you need to get here. Great food, stuff to give away. Tickets for the Texans and the Colts and more. 93.5, The Fan.
0: Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclib 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you
1: the ride with jmv i want you out in front of the school with her i'd like to have a few words with you by god 93.5 and 107.5 the fan
3: i am john our number three live from shelbyville buffalo wild wings 9 and 44 is our location here in shelbyville susie's gonna get over here in a little bit and tell us what's going on here we got stuff to give away two autographed helmet Got tickets for that regular season finale coming up as well, and also over the air, you guys listening right now, Z Z Top and Leonard Skinner tickets, Ruoff Home Mortgage Music Center coming up in the summertime. Listen to win for those before the end of the show. Now I'm back in studio tomorrow. Larcity Bourbon Locks, Luna Zolt Tequila Shots, Joe's Grill, Castleton with betting analyst Brent Halverson. That is coming up on Thursday, and yes, 10th and Shadeland. Billy, we're back to Manley's Irish Mutt, 10th and Shadeland. Shout out to Mike Manley. Bud Light Blue Friday, that's coming up on Friday. Cannot wait. Mike Manley, I believe, was down at the Bullseye Event Center last night and uh, taking in that extravaganza. Mike Manley and Manley's Irish Mutt. That is coming at you on Friday. JMV Takeover is back on Saturday, and this is the epic New Year's Eve return of the JMV Takeover where we party until we stop on New Year's Eve. You guys are going to love it. All requests, JMV New Year's Eve takeover coming at you on B105.7 on Saturday night. Meantime, Colts lose Monday night football. Uh, It was an embarrassment again last night. Chargers 20, Colts 3. I don't, because I know a lot of you might be sitting down to an early, especially if you're old like me, uh, you're sitting down to a very early MCL, Jack Benny plate type of dinner right now. Um, The numbers that you saw from Nick Foles were downright disgraceful. And to talk about that and more on a season that has been dreadful, Zach Kiefer of the Athletics on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. Hey, listen, I'm all for and cool with the loss because right now it's about the losing and to give yourself the best opportunity coming up with that top pick in April, especially without having to trade anything away to get up and target the person that you want but you know what they could do is stop embarrassing themselves week after week here down the stretch. That would be nice.
8: Yeah. The the funny thing is, is, is like when I tweeted last night that just Saturday is going to stick with Nick Foles for the final two games, as poor as Nick Foles played last night, three interceptions by the time the third quarter was over, there was almost this rejoicing on Twitter. Like fans are completely bought in like, to this losing and they've gone from fourteen in the draft a couple of weeks ago to five as of right now and they could climb even higher.
3: Yeah.
8: John, is this like the greatest tank of all time, like disguised as a bad team? Like is this the master plan that Jim Ursay has orchestrated? Is if I'm so uh, the yes. man deserves some credit.
3: If I'm Jim Irsay, at the end of it all, I'm saying, you know, this is a part of the plan uh, because people really don't believe in the vision and the plan of this team right now. And there, ha- there has to be something behind it. I mean, monetarily speaking, I'm sure that's the reason, uh, ineffectiveness and monetarily speaking with Matt Ryan. Uh, but I'm no believer in Sam Ellinger, but basically anybody over what we saw last night, That has to be the justification for Foles to start these final two games, right? That has to be. Because I asked this a little bit earlier, Zach. I I mean, I know that you cannot equate practice this time of year to a Monday night game against a playoff-bound Chargers team. But my goodness, how awful. That was an awful performance. And to justify that with two final starts... It has to be, right? Some grand scheme of tanking going on here? That's the only way to justify I it. I hope so. I, I certainly
8: hope that they're not legitimately trying to win, and that's the product we see. I mean, let's, let's, let's dig into a couple of things real quick. Nick Foles made it very clear last week that Wednesday's practice was the first time he had thrown to the starting offense since August. And it was the first time Ryan Kelly had ever snapped to him. And, like, I know Nick Foles is a backup and he's done some big things in this league, but, like, that's the second time they set a quarterback up to fail this season. The first being when they started Sam Ellinger, who was never supposed to play this year. And I remember having a conversation with Sam back in August. He's like, look, man, if I want to play 15 years in this league, like, I need to learn from Nick and learn from Matt this year. I'm on a three-year plan to get a better arm, to improve my velocity, et cetera. Sam never thought he was going to be starting in Week 10. Nick never thought he was going to be starting at all. And here they are, and like you, you know, you know the older dodges. If, if you don't have if you don't have if you have two quarterbacks, you don't have one. Well, they have three quarterbacks, and they don't have one. And gosh, this might be the worst passing offense I've ever seen. And I covered multiple seasons with Jacoby Brissett a quarterback, and and this is by far the worst. And man, I feel for the fans that brave those cold temperatures. I know a lot of people drove in for the game, and you watched that team turn the ball over three times and score three points. I mean I don't even think the Chargers did a whole lot right last night but they won going away because the other team was laughably bad.
3: I I thought Nick Foles looked as bad playing quarterback as anybody I've seen in years. And I mean on any level. And I I don't yeah. think I don't think I'm being over the top on that. That's how bad, that's how slow, that's how I mean, he he didn't have anything that would give you any reason why he should have sustained playing in that game, much less start the final two. Yeah, and
8: that's what I always resisted early on when people were calling for Foles, as opposed to Ellinger. Look, neither are a solution right now. I think everybody knows that. They've given all three a try. But Nick Foles did not have a strong training camp. And the one thing that separates Matt Ryan from him, if you're grasping for straws, which we are, because this team is horrendous, is 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 Matt Ryan is accurate? Like he's more accurate than Nick Foles, and he can fight. He can fit some balls into tight windows. The difference is Nick Foles can throw it thirty yards down the field, and the Colts have no vertical passing threat with Matt Ryan. So, where are you going? Right? Like pick your poison. Neither are a good solution. Sam Ellinger, like they tried to build this as this guy who could run around and make plays, and Ellinger is not Lamar Jackson. He's not Josh Allen. Like. He's a limited thrower, and he's mobile to a degree, but mainly just because you're comparing him to Nick Foles, who's mostly a statue, and Matt Ryan, who is a statue. And, and you're right, man. Like, that third interception, was he trying to go deep with it into double coverage? I hope he was, because if he was trying to go to the near passer, to the near receiver, excuse me, he missed him by five yards. Like, by yeah. five yards. Like, it, it, it's just hard to watch, and I know we're spoiled around here from who we've watched in the past, but goodness gracious they have they have no answer at quarterback and if they don't take a quarterback with a 3rd or 4th or 5th or 6th pick in the draft i think the city's going to riot i think they should
3: i you, you think about being spoiled as a fan base i think unfortunately we have a fan base now that's used to this type of quarterback play i mean really is yeah. used to it that's more frightening than those that felt that everybody around here was spoiled at the higher level of quarterback play, Zach, people around here are becoming used to this crap product and that is problematic across the board.
8: Yeah. And the biggest issue I had with Jeff Saturday coming in and look like just a great guy. He's been great to, to, to work with to a degree. And he was a great cold and all that needs to be said, but you didn't need to hire a guy to come in and scream at everybody and try to fix the offensive line. Like you needed to, find a guy ideally to fix the passing game because you have to throw the football in 2022 to win games in this league. And they didn't, and and they'd have no answers. And they're progressively getting worse every single week. I mean, they went 0 for 10 on third down last night, 0 for 10. And that's not even the first time they've done that this season. They were 0 for 14 in new England. And I'm not here to say that they should have never fired Frank Reich, but at least Frank Reich's teams have gotten better as the season progressed, for the most part. But look, that was that was an unwatchable offense that we saw the last game Frank Reich coached, and we're watching one again. So there's no answers, and there's no there's no single coach that's going to fix this. There's no single quarterback that's going to come in and fix this, and that's the reality. Is Colts fans need to know that just because they take a quarterback in the top four or five or six picks doesn't mean he's the guy. And then secondly, he's going to be playing behind what is probably the same offensive line and with the same skill positions. this is going to take a little bit of time, but he's not going to be walking into a perfect situation.
3: Well, and and again, we'll get to this in a second, but in jest, I'll tell you, I mean, Chris Ballard may end up drafting their offensive lineman. So we'll get to that in a second as to why he's able to sustain and withstand what is going on around him with this team that he has put together. He has blueprinted together. Zach Kiefer of the athletic is with us. So, Jim Irsay has completely put Jeff Saturday on course to fail. That was the biggest right. mistake because what is going down right now, if Jim Irsay truly wanted Jeff Saturday to be the future coach of this team, there is no way you can sell him now to this fan base. And that is not altogether His fault. That is the fault of the owner for putting him in a position where Frank Reich would have seen the same outcome, Bubba Bubba Ventrone would have, John Fox would have, you, me, anybody would have seen the same outcome with this group. So if not the head coach moving forward, is Jim Irsay at least getting the intel that he wanted to get with Jeff Saturday, the mole telling him what was wrong, in the inner workings of this team. Is there any Intel that maybe we didn't know that he he's giving to the owner right now? What's, what's the feedback been there?
8: I sure hope so. I sure hope there's some byproduct from this mess that we're watching every week, because really they've, 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 they've slumped into one of the laughing stocks of the league. I mean, you, you get the sugar high from the win in Las Vegas. And then what happens? Then reality happens and you lose five in a row and you get progressively worse. And to your point, If they really were serious about finding out if Jeff Saturday could be a head coach in this league, why would you pull him into this mess and see how it turned out? It's an impetuous, reckless decision. And like you said, they set him up to fail. I think any coach walking in probably would have failed because there's no fix to this passing game. Like they needed a tactician. They needed a smart, offensive mind and maybe he changed the mood in the building for a couple of weeks, but that doesn't win in this league. Motivation doesn't win in this league. Scheme does, and coaching does, and talent does. And, and like you said, I, I honestly genuinely think that in Jim Mercer's mind, Jeff Saturday is a candidate for this job. Is that just smoke he's blowing out there right now because you can't say anything with two weeks to go? Maybe it is, and we're getting into rumor season and there's going to be a lot of stuff flying around out there about this team. Some of it's not going to be true. Some of it probably is. But I do believe, and I talked to Jim Mersey recently, Jeff Saturday is going to be a candidate for this job. Now, I'm with you, man. Like, what, what is Jeff Saturday going to go to him and sell himself on besides the fact that he has a great career as a player? There's nothing you can sell yourself on over the last six games that makes you think he's qualified to be a full-time head coach in this league. If anything, this shows you that every owner in the league should be paying attention to this decision and bold, reckless moves like this are not, are not something that works out in the NFL. But this is Jim Irsay's decision. We clearly know who's going to be making the following decisions about who's the GM and who's the head coach. And really, he's not, he's not leaning his, ta- his, his hat anyway because it's almost like he wants Jeff Saturday to be the guy.
3: It's Zach from The Athletic, on and the Andy Morad, a group hotline. I, I'm kind of interesting in this. Because your colleague at The Athletic, columnist Bob Kravitz, his latest is Ballard hasn't earned a seventh season with the Colts, but he's getting it, probably. I want to dive into that because I wholeheartedly agree he hasn't earned. We've seen enough. It's time to move on. But evidently right now Jim Irsay is not going to move on. But I think what's interesting about this is somebody used to be in this market, and she is now working for the ACC network. Taylor Tannenbaum, who used to work at 13, responded – To Bob's tweet of this column and saying, fractured relationships with so many key players, how can he possibly be kept? Wild to me. Now, she's somebody that covered this team for a long period of time. And I'm curious, have you heard of fractured relationships in that locker room with personnel in their relationship with Chris Ballard? Because I can think of a couple of things and a couple of players that probably would, but does anybody come to mind to justify that tweet that we read last night?
8: Yeah, I'm, I'm certainly not saying it's accurate, but I haven't heard the things that would lead me to use the word fractured relationships. I haven't heard that. I won't go that far. Um, but, you know, to speak to Bob's column, like, this model is completely broken. This offense is completely broken. This, like, let's build from the inside out. Let's pay a left guard $100 million. Let's feature a running back. Like, it doesn't work. And there's two examples. Look at last year. Jonathan Taylor took over the league, and what did it get the Colts? It was fun in November and December, and they didn't even make the playoffs. And then this year, another team that's completely built from the inside out and has a star running back, the Tennessee Titans, they're falling apart. And now, I understand their quarterback is hurt, Ryan Tannehill, but they've lost five straight, and they're going to lose the division to the Jaguars. This model is broken, and this is what Chris Ballard has been selling himself to Jim Irsay. That's what he started with in 2017. Look, it's not going to be about Andrew. It's going to be about the team. We're going to put pieces around him. Uh, Chris Ballard has certainly done that, and to say this team doesn't have talent is, is just inaccurate. But he's, maybe he's put together good rosters, but he certainly hasn't put together a great team yet, and that's the problem, and the record is 45-50-1. and one zero division titles, and that really, really gets to Jim Irsay. He's really tired of not beating the Texans, of not beating the Titans, and of going down to Jacksonville and getting embarrassed every single year. And that's really what did it for Frank Reich and why Jim Irsay couldn't keep him on board. But, look, this is going to be a decision Jim Irsay is going to have to make. I really do believe that in his mind, as of right now, he's planning on bringing Chris Ballard back. I know there's a huge part of the fan base that hates to hear that. Some are probably okay with it as long as they draft a quarterback. But the reality is this is bigger than whether it's Ballard or someone else. The model is broken. The way they built this team is flawed. And this is not going to be a fix that they can do in just one offseason.
3: Now, and I'm curious, is it that there is a deeply rooted trust that Jim Irsay has for Chris Ballard? Is there the fact that he doesn't want to have to pay Chris Ballard not to do anything like he's going to be doing Frank Reich in the future and then pay somebody else to come in to do the job? Or is it the fact that he believes in Ballard but also knows that he can nose his way in if he wants to and make some decisions that maybe other general managers not so much would want to have to deal with here? Is there a... A reason behind any of those three points made right here as to why Ballard is capable and able of sustaining when clearly it is time to go?
5: I think all three could be
8: partially true. I don't think he'll ever say a couple of those things. But, look, when they gave extensions out to 2026 with Chris Ballard and Frank Reich, what did Jim they say at the time? He said, we have the best head coach, general manager combination in the league. And then yesterday he goes on ESPN and he says, I reluctantly gave Frank Wright an extension. So this, the story is changing.
7: Can you, can you Sorry,
8: my daughter's <laughs> interrupting. Um, that's, that's all right. She's making her first appearance on V. No, nice. and the reality is, look, I think, I think this is a big part of it. If he moves on from Chris Ballard this offseason, that, that is an abject admission that he got it wrong just 20 months ago. And, and that's something I don't think he wants to do. So I think that's, I think that they're going to try and shift some of the blame to Frank Wright. And I think if they move on from Chris Fowler, that means he's restarting completely for the first time in 10 years. And I don't think that's something he wants to do. And what he told me was interesting. He said, look, Chris has been up against it and he's really good in the draft room. So I think he trusted him in that area. But clearly when it comes to coaching and some other things, Jim has stepped in and said, I'm going to make the decision.
3: Well, then let him scout then. Let him scout an area. Cause he's good. at Listen, I'm sure he's good at that. I mean, hell, that Ryan Gregson was good at that. You and I both know this. When Gregson was here and, and you know, obviously uh, with a quarterback put up better numbers. But when he was here, the the one thing that he could do that he never got credit for, because really nobody cares. All you see on the surface is the general manager and his decisions as it, you know, creates the results, either positive or negative. But he was good as a grinder and as a scout. That's where he started to make um, a name for himself in the NFL I, I just to me we have seen this and as you talked about earlier we've talked about before this product that has been put together has failed and you're going to have to start basically from the ground up or at least close to it anyway so why not the general manager whose blueprint has failed you've done everything else you're going to have to start there anyway why does the general manager from Jim Irsay get such a pass? I,
8: I think this goes back to the words he used in 2017. I think there's a – this is typical Irsay hyperbole for the record. He said Chris is the most sought-after GM candidate to come about in the 21st century, right? That obviously has not, has not bore out, right? Like that they haven't even won the division for God's sake. But I think there's <laughs> yeah. a point of pride in Jim Irsay in saying, I got the guy that everybody wanted. And it is true that Ballard turned down some other offers. Well, the product on the field doesn't match that. It, they're clearly going in the wrong direction. And I think they're as lost as they've been in 20 years. They're as lost as they've been since 1997. Since Peyton Manning walked in the door the following April, right? I mean, there's no number one pick waiting in the wings. There's no guilt and excuse for why this season has fallen apart. Like, there's no injury on the offense that slowed them down. I mean, Jonathan Taylor a little bit, but this team's not going anywhere even if he is healthy. So I don't know how the GM sells that. But then secondly, I think part of Jim Mercer, it wants to believe that this is the guy because he didn't get it wrong. Jim Mercy doesn't want to get it wrong for the second time in a row in terms of Ryan Grigson, and that's a hard thing to swallow. And remember, when you're dealing with owners, you're dealing with ego, and you're dealing with – a guy that stepped in the last couple of years to make three of the biggest decisions with this franchise. And I think if he keeps Chris Ballard around, like you said, maybe that allows Jim Irsay to say, well, look, I can still, come as, I can still call some of the shots.
3: So Zach here for the athletics on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. I, I'm sure you haven't looked this up, and I'm sure you probably will at some point, but when you're thinking in terms of general managers in the NFL that last, because six to seven years is a long damn time in the NFL at any position, certainly at the position of general manager, I'd have to look around because I can't imagine anybody that has that time served at the general managing position of the NFL has lesser results than what we have seen with Chris Ballard. I'm assuming, and again, this is just a, this is an opinion here. I'm assuming that you can't find worse results than what you have seen over that period of time than what Chris Ballard has put on the board here. Would you agree?
8: No, you, you, don't keep a, you don't keep your job without winning the division in six years. And I'm not picking them to win the division next year, right, the way the Jaguars are coming and, and, and Tennessee's yeah. always tough. And, and the reality is this has happened before, but like you said, never with this kind of losing. Like Howie Roseman has lasted a long time in Philadelphia. He was famously banished to a different part of the building, and he survived multiple head coaches. But the difference is they've made playoff runs and they had a ridiculous Super Bowl run in 2017 where they won a Super Bowl with a backup quarterback. That speaks to the talent on the roster. And so this is a little bit different. Like if he stays, if Chris Ballard stays, that's going to be four head coaches, right? Like you start out with Chuck Pagano, you move to Frank Wright. I'm counting Jeff Saturday, and then the potential next head coach. That doesn't happen very often. But again, this doesn't have to make sense because it's just going to be Jim
3: Murphy's decision. You okay back there? I'm sorry about that. <laughs> no, you're you good. Okay? You're
8: good. I'm, I'm balancing two things at once. No, I'm no, so no. You're doing a great guy.
3: job of it, too, man. We, we A lot of us. I, I've got a daughter, too, and she would be very outspoken. Just like there's nothing wrong with it, man. If you if you need no, to go, he, I understand. He, it's okay. With the
8: rest of the fans out there, no,
3: you're good. <laughs> no, go ahead and continue, man. It's all good.
8: No, and, and that's I think that's a big part of it. You just don't see you don't see a general manager last through four head coaches without winning big at some point in that process, right? And then, secondly, does Jim Irsay really buy into what Chris Ballard's doing? Does he buy into what Chris Ballard has been selling him? For the last four or five years, we need to build up front. We need to build one of the best offensive lines in the league. We need to win on defense. I mean, that's great. They've got a good defense. They have an offensive line that's regressed into one of the worst, but they don't have enough weapons on offense, and they don't have a quarterback. And without that, it feels hopeless. And that's the problem is whoever this rookie quarterback is that walks into this team next year, it's not going to be easy. It's going to take some time. And maybe they hit the right guy and maybe they don't. But the model, is, is that's where I have some big concerns moving forward because Jonathan Taylor is a free agent following next season. So with Michael Pittman yep. Jr., do you want to pay Jonathan Taylor yep. what will be the highest running yep. back salary in the league? Like, doesn't that just further the problem that your money is allocated to some of the wrong spots? That's the concern because there's that's, that's a hard thing to come back from once you've invested in all those spots. And once your model has proven – to really get you nowhere. Like, they haven't even been able to win a bad division in six years.
3: Well, and you think about, you got questions surrounding Shaquille Leonard, if he's ever going right. to be. Because I, I will say this about Shaquille Leonard. One thing that has been missing defensively, and, and while last night you don't put it on them, uh, they were not covered in glory in the second half of that Vikings game. They weren't covered in glory in the fourth quarter of the Cowboys game. So they've had their, their issues as well, just not as deeply rooted as this completely ineffective offense throughout the entirety of the season. But, I mean, you've you got to question where he is compared to where he's going to be and what you thought he was going to be upon his his return and then you bring up the offensive line. I mean, this was all cobbled together, and it's supposed to be one of of the best, if not the best, in the NFL. And you're you're paying three guys like they are and they're not. And you still don't know about Bernard Ryman. You hope, but you don't know. There's just so much of an unknown here. It just seems like you're starting at square one anyway. So if you're going to start there, start there. And that's I guess that's where I come down on with Ballard in mind. I'm a complete non-believer right now, but at the same time, if you're going to start where clearly you're going to be starting, um, I don't know why you don't make a clean sweep of it, but because it's not working, it hasn't worked and it's not gonna.
8: Yeah. Let me ask you this. How appealing is this GM job? If if you do move on, Um, because everyone in in this league knows how this went down and people know, people know what Jim Mercer has been doing. and, 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 and that, that's a factor here, right? Like, that absolutely Don't is a factor. Like, these GMs, they pay attention to where they're going to go and and how much control they're going to
3: have. Well, I, I think you figure out whether or not somebody just wants to be here, right? Like, we look at Scott Milanovic right now as making a great call because poor Parks Frazier, he's going to have to – speaking of starting at square one, you know, after this, he's going to have to start at square one, even though he's been a play caller for – you know, this has been – Probably as unfair and a bad call for him as it was, you know, hiring Jeff Saturday when they did. But I I don't to me, if you want somebody and they're ready to be a general manager and they turn your position down, they're not the right one for you anyway. And I've always been, Zach, of the opinion, there is like two unifiers, great unifiers out there with belief from the fans and the organization. And that is Jim Harbaugh, and that is Sean Payton. Neither of which are coming here, but both of those names would be great unifiers for everybody in terms of an organization that needs it within the organization and for the fans of the organization. Those are the two unquestioned unifiers. It won't happen, but that to me right. is, would be the perfect scenario, either one of those, and certainly what the Colts need. Unfortunately, neither one, I think, will come to fruition.
8: No, and, and and I think I think Sean Payton laid his cards out a couple of months ago when he said there's a lot of dysfunctional teams in this league. This is right after the Colts had made the big change, and I don't think it's hard to see who he, who he was talking about. But if I'm yeah. Jim Merce, I make Jim Harbaugh say no. I absolutely make him say no. And if he does, that's fine. If he wants to stay at Michigan, that's fine. But, like, if there's ever been a time to change up your model, and I think it's important to note that, like Jim Ursay wants his guy, his head coach to be like this great, nice man, this community man. I think this is important to him. If you look at his track record, Chuck Pagano, Frank Reich, Tony Dungy, Jim Caldwell, great human beings, right? The one outlier, the one outlier was the guy that he allowed Chris Ballard to hire. That was Josh McDaniels, but that never got past the finish line. And as you know, once that happened, you know, Ursay stepped in and had a little bit more of a vocal role in Frank Reich's hiring, but yeah, you know Jim Mersey, you know, or excuse me, Jim Harbaugh has a little bit more of a tough-nosed personality. He can be difficult. I've never interacted with him, but look, like if there's a time to mix it up, if there's a time to go get someone who's different, who could be a little crusty, who could wear some people thin, who could change the building, I think this might be the time to do it. Um, I, I don't think Harbaugh is going to come, but I definitely get him on the phone, and I definitely make him say no. That's just me.
3: To me, and why I say that Harbaugh is the great unifier, and I also slot in Sean Payton. He's not coming either. But the reason being is it is clear, as we've talked about, that Jim Irsay and his meddling is incredibly problematic. And either one of those two guys, to me, stops the meddling. To me, then Jim Irsay can do his philanthropic stuff, his music he can continue to be a voice among the owners, a top voice in the NFL. All that stuff he can do while stepping away from meddling in the everyday activities of his football team. And I think that he would, to me, be proven to let Harbaugh or Peyton handle that and then step out of it and not meddle, as to which you continue on with Chris Ballard. I think you're going to continue to get this meddling process. And if Jeff Saturday, the same type of thing. That's why it would be great if you could get either one of those two names as a great unifier. It's not going to happen, but in a world of non-perfect things, to me, for the Colts, either one of those two would be perfect.
8: Yeah, and I think let's just play the game for hypothetical sake. If either of those two get to a final interview, I almost can guarantee they would sit there and say, Jim, I make all the football decisions. I make the decisions. You do not make the decisions. Ursay would have to swallow that, and I think he would. You know, we're just playing this hypothetical game. This is not going to (laughs) happen. But they would have to make that clear. And and I think this all goes back to one thing, and this is me speculating. This is just my theory. But I've heard this from people in the building. Like, I think he lost trust in those around him. And I think the thing that changed it was the Carson Wentz debacle. When Wentz didn't work out, you cannot convince me that Jim Ursay still trusted Frank Reich. I really think that that was the start of all of this. Then he started to think, I, if you don't trust your head coach, what do you do? You step in and start making decisions for him. You tell him who to play a quarterback, et cetera. So, you know, that, that's just a bad way to lead. And, and if you watch the Broncos press conference today, the owner is up there saying, you know, the new head coach is going to answer to me. That's a bad way to do things. That's a bad way to do things. I think the GM and the coach should be working together uh, but that's going to be fascinating. But I think, I, I think you're right. I think Harbaugh and Peyton, certainly Peyton, is a pipe dream. But it's going to be a fascinating couple of weeks. And, and I think I think Jeff Saturday is going to be a candidate, believe it or not.
3: Well, and uh, the thing about Harbaugh is I know he had a flirtation with Minnesota a year ago. And while I say that there's, there's, there's no chance, I say that in terms of how unlikely I believe it to be. But let's just say you go out, you run the table and win a national title. And you get enough of a cash flow coming in where you want to, you know, jump back to a team that you know uh, before, been a part of before, an organization you've been a part of before, work for somebody that you know to restoke that fire of trying to get back and win a Super Bowl as your next challenge. Okay, that would make sense. Do I think it's likely? No. But I guess in terms of that, there's always a chance.
8: He said something interesting earlier this season. He was talking to Mitch Album of the Detroit Free Press, and he said, when you get to a Super Bowl at that level and you don't finish the job, there's something inside you that just sticks inside your stomach, right? So that's real. That's a real thing that Jim Harbaugh said. That regret of not finishing that Super Bowl in San Francisco, that's a real thing for him. And he did have that flirtation with the Vikings last year. Now, I do have to add that every single thing he has said of late about the NFL, and it hasn't been much, he has yeah. shot it down immediately. He has said he's going to be back at Michigan. He's on top of the world right now. All they do is kick the crap out of Ohio State. He's in the second state play, second straight playoff. They've got a great recruiting class. If you're going to believe what a coach is saying, which is always a dangerous thing to do this time of year, he's going to be back at Michigan. But if Jim Merced calls him, offers him the moon, I think there's a part of him that would at least listen. I don't know Jim Harbaugh. I'm speculating. But again, I think the part of him that that just came up short in that Super Bowl against his brother, I think there's a part of him that thinks about that a little bit. We'll see.
3: In this world of college football, college basketball as well, you have to show the world that you're 100% invested until you're not because of the transfer portal and recruiting and the minds that are changed now and why it's so easy to maneuver around. You've got, you know, basically you've got to lie. You do. And that's not anything new, but you, you have to lie. So who knows? But uh, that would be, agree, the, the great unifier. Hey, Zach, get back to the family. Happy holidays to you. Have a great new year, and we're here to sort this out, I'm sure, at some point again next week. Thanks, brother.
8: Sounds good. Thanks, man.
3: Zach Kiefer, The Athletic on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. Quick break, and we're going to come back live from the Shelbyville Buffalo Wild Wings. Stuff to give away. I'll explain. ZZ Top Leonard, Skinner tickets, and more. Straight at you next.
0: the
1: ride with jmv
3: are you kidding you think i'd join this crummy snobatorium but this whole place sucks that's right it sucks
1: 93.5 and 107.5 the fan
3: thank you so much for joining us the show is live in shelbyville indiana shelby county buffalo wild wings location In an autograph helmet to give away we've got tickets to the regular season finale against the texans also, we'll do that. Zach is going to help us out. Thank you for joining us, Zach Kiefer of The Athletic. We also talked to Greg Raystraw a little bit earlier. Ben Brown, uh, Pro Football Focus, 1075thefan.com, where you can find those podcasts. I'll tell you where I'm going to be coming up later on this week. And remind me, James, back at the studio, I've got ZZ Top and Skinnerd tickets to give away before the end of this show. But Susie joins us from Buffalo Wild Wings here in Shelbyville. She is the general manager of this location. Outstanding time. How are you, Susie? I'm wonderful. How are you? I could not be better. Good. I love it. I love I say this all the time. I love driving through the country to get from Bargersville to here. Um, it is easy. It is 44 to Franklin and on over or I can come through uh, What is it? Uh, I don't know what it is. Uh, Whatever. Um, Yeah, whatever. Fairland. Yes, I go by Rock Lane. Rock Lane School. Right. And so it's, it's all good. But yeah, great location here. How long have you been running the show?
2: I've been here since October.
3: October. So how are things going? Well?
2: Yes, very well.
3: Destination location. What do you got going on tonight? Food wise and for the rest of the week.
2: Well, for food-wise tonight, we have our BOGOs uh, traditional wings tonight. Buy one, get one 50% off. Nice. So come on out and get get some, guys, okay? Come on, come well, see us.
3: love that, too. Now, <laughs> are you guys doing anything New Year's Eve? What's uh, the plan here? We
2: are going to be open New Year's Eve. We will be open normal hours New Year's Eve. Uh, I will be here, so everybody nice. can come see me. Uh, and there will be several others here that will be ready to do whatever you guys need us to do.
3: Here's what I want you to do. I'm going to be on B105.7 live playing request. The JMV Takeover New Year's Eve Party. You guys crank up B one hundred five point seven, our sister station, on New Year's Eve, and I'll give you guys a lot of love in here. Right? Oh, and play awesome. play we songs like that you love. We
2: like music. All so. right. Oh, well,
3: what's, what's your what's your wheelhouse? What decade? What music? What band? I
2: like the seventies and the eighties. Oh well, but I'm Tom right Petty here for you. Is my favorite.
3: Oh, I can give you Tom Petty for sure. <laughs> we do a little Super Sounds of the seventies after eleven. It will be put it in there, B one hundred five point seven, and okay, we'll give cool. you a shout out inside. Uh, the Shelbyville location All right, of, sounds good. Buffalo Wild Wings. That's, that's awesome. Do you guys still do the uh, wing-eating competitions ever?
2: The wing-eating competitions? Yeah. We have not done any as far as I know, but that would be something we might be able to think I'm about. I'm just
3: kind of curious, too, because I remember, what, what's the hottest sauce on the menu? Our
2: hottest right now is the desert.
3: The desert. Desert heat. Now, how many do you think somebody could get down with the desert heat sauce? Oh,
2: I don't know. I can't uh, eat that.
3: Yeah. <laughs> I can't eat Anybody it. in here tried Desert Heat before? Have you, Zach? Is it legit? Oh, is it oh, really? We also
2: have one called a blazon too, I think might be just
3: I re- above I that. remember, see, back in the day when they used to have those, and I used to have a friend that would enter them, they would go with the blazon. Okay. And that, that was pretty heavy duty, so Desert... Whatever this Desert is. Desert
2: heat and the blazing. Denver, Desert heat
3: hottest. goes even, even more so. But, yeah, yeah back in the day, the, the Bloomington location of Buffalo Wild Wings, back then it was called BW3. Yes. Um, used to have those wing eating contests <laughs> all the time. And my dudes would be there and sweat would be dripping off of them. <laughs> and everything. It looked like hard work that they were going through right there. All right. Hey, best thing on the menu, according to you, Susie, the general manager.
2: I like the traditional wings. Those are one of my favorites, the honey barbecue. Awesome. But everything's good so far that I've tried. I've not tried. got to try everything yet, but everything's been really good so far.
3: Shelby County, Hancock County, Johnson, uh, Rush, Decatur, wherever you are in the general vicinity of Shelbyville, you come in this Buffalo Wild Wings location and you ask for Susie. And let Susie set you up, especially on New Year's Eve. Yes, one is. B105.7, J&V Takeover. We will give you some love. And awesome. I'm going to play, I'll play you something. Tom Petty. Uh, running Down a Dream. You probably like Full Moon mm, Fever, right? Yes. That album. So, Honey yeah. Bee's
2: my favorite.
3: Oh, we can do that. The late, great Tom Petty <laughs> yes. for you. Susie, thanks for having Thank us. Thank you. That is Susie, the general manager of Buffalo Wild Wings here in Shelbyville. Quick break, and we shall return for a final time. We'll give you tomorrow's guest list and where we're going to be Thursday and Friday with the show. It's 93.5 and 107. Fy the Fan.
1: The Ride with JMV.
2: The Sportos, Motorheads, Geeks, Sluts, Bloods, wasteoids, Dweebies, they all adore him. They think he's a righteous dude.
1: 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan.
3: Shelbyville, Buffalo Wild Wings. Yeah, congratulations to Bill and to Tim, the prize winners here. Been a great time. Thank you, Susie, for coming on. Hey, by the way, too, number nine at 239 1070 right now that's number nine at 239 1070 you're going to go see skinnerd and zz top coming up this summer at Ruoff home mortgage music center i believe that's where that is if i'm wrong about that my bad but i believe that is where it is going to be Ruoff home mortgage music center that is zz top and skinnerd coming up uh, the concert list with Live Nation, as you know, is slowly but surely coming out. And uh, that is one on the list. August the 20th at Ruoff Home Mortgage Music Center. Skinner at ZZ Top, number nine at 239 1070, is a winner. Hey, really quickly, who do we have on hold right here that wants to talk some Colts or something else? James, what do we got? Where are We've we going next? We got
9: Terry and Corey.
3: Terry, go ahead at 239 1070. Terry, welcome to the show.
9: Hey, John, thanks for taking the call. Merry Christmas to you and all, right everybody you. in your family. Hey, the real problem, as I see it, is really the human condition. And that is you take the average Joe and he spends his whole childhood and, and early adulthood doing something he loves to do and he's doing it for free. And then he gets a job and he, and he, and he gets paid some decent money. And he, and he gets that money for three or four years. And then if he's lucky enough, he gets... The big money. And big money changes people, John. It changes people. Some flourish from it in whatever they're doing. But most, it affects them adversely. And all three of our offensive linemen who got paid have been adversely affected by the windfall that they've received. That's my opinion. And the problem that the culture having is
3: that he's paid a lot of people, right? Let me tell you, Terry, I got to get to the next call. I I, I do. I want to explain your human condition here for a moment. I think the only human condition that falls into the category here, there's no doubt. Talk about human condition and what you're bringing up, I'm sure, can play a role in many an operation. But the human condition with this team is that the condition of their team sucks, that's what it is. This, to me, doesn't have a lot to do about what they pray, played or paid, I should say, Frank Reich, or what they're paying Shaquille Leonard, or what they're going to pay Quentin Nelson. This has to do with a failed blueprint foundational build that has not worked and is not going to work. And then the cornerbacks that they brought in are not at all what they thought. There were going to be, you'd have to ask what in the world was Chris Ballard and Frank Reich looking at when they watched the tape of Matt Ryan and Nick Foles and said, yeah, these guys still got it because these guys aren't close to having anything right now. That's the human condition. It is a faulty constructed team full of bad decisions. That's that's my thought, Terry. Thank you. I do got to get to Corey before we end the show. Corey, go ahead. Hey, you just touched on it. I don't think it matters who you put it where if Chris Ballard gets another shot at this if this is faltered this team's terrible and as a season taker older I'm side up with Bauer. Nice yeah, lo- Merry hey, Christmas! Corey, Happy thank- holidays. You, you too, buddy. Corey, thank you very much. You guys know how I feel and I know some of you are saying, "Man, this is so over the top on Chris Ballard." Um, and maybe so, but that that is my opinion of where we are. All I can do is go by the results, but ultimately, only one man's opinion truly matters. My opinion doesn't matter in the grand scheme. I can sit here all day and talk about how, yeah, these are the results. There's, you know, no division title. And in fact, right now, they're further away than what they ever have been, and even if You get what you want, and you get to go out and draft your longer-term future quarterback. I mean, two things here. going to take a while. This is not going to happen with the results instantaneously, and it may fail as well. All I'm going by with Chris Ballard is the six years of results, and I am. I'm factoring in the good picks. I'm factoring in things that have worked out. But this is one of the, if not the worst teams going in the NFL right now. And you have laid blame on everybody else that would be feasibly capable of laying blame. Whether it's the coach or the offensive coordinator, quarterbacks. Where's the general manager in this? And why, I just ask, is there... That level of trust in something that over a six-year period clearly hasn't worked. And to make it even worse, it's at its lowest level right now of these six years. At its lowest level. That's all I'm saying. It may work for him someplace else. He may be an absolute genius, even more so than in his own mind. But what he has done has not worked here. And that's all I'm able to go on. And you know what? If I didn't say that, if I didn't tell you the truth, why in the world would you listen to me? But that's the truth. There's no ax to grind. There's no agenda. Nothing like that. It is just the results or lack thereof. I would love to believe that Jeff Saturday could be a future head coach, but with the results of this team since he's taken over... Does anybody believe that he can be? That's why I suggest the only true unifier here, because Sean Payton is beyond a pipe dream, the only true unifier is Jen Harbaugh. Because also in this complicated matter of confusion and malfunction is the owner, who has stuck his nose in so much that he needs to pull out, go back to doing what he does, play music, doing what he does, being a loud voice, in ownership and let the football coach and decision makers do the football coaching and decision makers. And I think Jim Harbaugh is one of the few out there. He would let do that. Thank you guys very much for having us. Buffalo Wild Wings in Shelbyville. Delvin, great job out of you, Devin. Back at the studio, James did a fantastic job. We're in studio tomorrow. We're going to be at Joe's Grill, Castleton Thursday, Manly's Irish Month, 10th and Shadeland coming up on Friday. My guests, thank you. Listeners inside the lounge via YouTube live. Back with you tomorrow at 3. Have a great night. Be safe.